Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian the Irishman, Jay Rowan. With me today, we have Michael, Mikey Chicago, Snydell. Uh, I'm repping for the union here. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, it's a Chicago movie. It, it is. There's, a, there's sequences in Chicago. <laughs> Goddamn right there is. We also have... William Bill Graham. What? That's weak. I don't know. I almost called you Billy Clean Slate because you have such a shitty memory. <laughs> I actually like that. All right, See, we that got that. That's There's not bad. Billy Clean Slate over here. Who? Oh man. And on the podcast today, a special guest to help us talk about The Irishman, newest film from director Martin Scorsese. We have oh, no. Matt Spola. <laughs> That's it? Okay. I, would you, you're the new <laughs> guy. We got to figure out what your, your nickname is over the course of this time. You know, we don't just throw nicknames at people like, we could call you Matty Knives. I don't know if you're a knife guy. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I don't know. You paint houses, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know. Matt, you're on the podcast today. Are you ready to be part of this history with us? Oh, hell yeah, I am. (laughs) Like I said, we'll figure out your nickname as we go. By the time we end this podcast, Matt's poll is going to have a name. But anyway, like I said, we're here to talk about The Irishman, brand new film from Martin Scorsese, stars Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, amongst many others, and it is a plan on Netflix now, so be sure to check it out. Before we get into that, the usual stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us, podcastthefilmstage.com, and of course, become a patron of ours by going to patreon.com slash show. For as little as $1 an episode, you can help us to defray the cost of seeing movies and create more great content for you. And also, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe show a little gratitude, you know, show a little respect. <laughs> This movie's really bringing out the queens in me. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I'm worried. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to get to talking about this because the second time I watched this movie was my, with my brother who confirmed that a lot of the people in this movie remind us of people from the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be great. I don't even know what that means. But I, okay. All right. You'll find out. It's going to be good. Uh- uh, we're also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their curators bring you a brand new film for you to watch and enjoy. You can download them to your smartphone. You can play them over your smart TV, your PC, your phone, if you're a monster. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, Zadoichi is on there. Classic. One of like 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films, Michael. D- that's true. That's true. All Zadoichi. <laughs> And, of course, we still got uh, Time of the Wolf on there, which I will not stop screaming at people about. You got to check it out. It's part of their Isabelle Hubert Performances Rebirth series. Uh, 
Still got Honey Giver Among the Dogs that you need to check out. And um, let's see what else. Nocturama. I, I want to throw more love at Nocturama. Those are the things. They're, those ones are going to go away soon. So if you've been thinking, you've been like, eh, I don't know if I should do this. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Get your free 30-day trial. Check out those great movies and uh, the many others that will populate over the course of your 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. I think that's it. Unless uh, we all have anything else to talk about before we get into this. Huh? <laughs> God damn it, Clean Slate. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Clean Slate is really leaning in. Let's go. Uh, Let's get this fucking thing going. Yeah. Before he forgets. Movie. We got a lot to talk about. It is a long movie. This movie, almost three and a half hours long. Uh, however, luckily, people on Twitter have figured out how to break it into a miniseries if you're more comfortable <laughs> binge watching it than just sitting. This is the funny thing. And it's something that people have brought up a lot. But, like, people will, you know, and I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything, just down an entire season of Frasier, you know, over the course of one sitting. But for some reason, a three and a half hour movie, I guess they feel like it's intimidating, like it's too much for them. Like, I mean, I, I hear this refrain quite a bit around like long movies, especially Netflix movies in particular. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, OK, but like you can turn off your brain to watch Frasier. You can turn your brain off to watch Great British Breaking, Baking Show. Like you have to really kind of give yourself over to especially this movie, like this movie in particular, like people are not only like it's long. Yes, it is long. It's three and a half hours, but it's also slow as fuck in the beginning. And so it's like, yeah, no, like I don't blame a lot of people. Now, granted, when the three and a half hour runtime came out and people were just fucking losing their mind, I was just like, okay, like you can you can pause it. Like you can stop. (laughs) Like it's all good. Like we're all going to watch it on fucking Netflix. Like. You know, I think this one was actually uh, less widely va- available than um, uh, Roma, actually. Um, so, which is fucking unfortunate. Well, here's, but, you here's know. my thing. Avengers Endgame over the summer made $17 yes. billion, dollars, and that was a three-hour and two-minute long movie. Mm-hmm. So you could, uh, the extra 18 minutes I don't think is a deal breaker, you know? just But, but people were fucking losing their minds over that and that movie made the most box office in in cinema so, so what we're saying is the irishman is definitely going to outgross avengers endgame yeah, absolutely <laughs> on netflix all right so <laughs> also endgame was like two hours and 58 minutes of hot air so talk about turning your brain off <laughs> but anyway we're here uh, to talk about the irishman it was out in theaters probably still is but it's now widely available on netflix um, and it is the story of Frank, the Irishman Sheeran, who, uh, you know, towards the end of his life, claimed that he was a pretty high up enforcer for the mob who uh, may or may not have had something to do with the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. So we're here to talk about it. Um, and uh, yeah, before we do that, of course, let's kick into the trailer. Frank Sheeran. I said that right? Yeah, you said it right. Uh, under the contract... Management can only fire a driver on very specific charges. So, you ever show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. Do you ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. 
want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Oh, All yeah. right. Nice. That was the trailer for The Irishman. Uh, this movie, am I wrong about this? This movie just won Film of the Year from the National Board of Review, right? Yes. Yeah, today, I think. Yeah. That is, though they usually do a truly bizarre list, and it was kind of normal this year, and it was very confusing. <laughs> As I said, this movie stars Robert Dero as Frank Sheeran, the titular Irishman, Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa, and Joe Pesci as Russell, Russell, oh my god, I'm having so much trouble tonight, Russell Bofalino, and we're here to talk about it. It's three and a half hours long, I've seen it twice, let's see what the others thought, let's start with our guest, Matt, nicknamed to be determined, Sapola. Oh yeah, just call. Oh, <clears throat> I just thought that you can just call me like onion or something because Sapola just means onion in Italian. That's all it means. Oh yeah, you're the onion. Yeah, I'm just the onion. Um, right. no, Matty onions. You got layers. It's funny because I hate onions. They're satanic. We call um, him that because oh. he makes people cry. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. Uh, okay, so the th- okay, so I saw this again last night. Um, I first saw this a little over a month ago, and I saw it for a second time last night. And when I first saw it, I it was one of those movies where I thoroughly I, fir- I thoroughly appreciated um, the first half, and then it just sort of clicked. And I think it was I mean it's the last hour that everyone sort of talked about that sort of steamrolled me, um, and it stuck with me a lot. And it I, I thought about it continuously uh, until I saw it again last night. Um, and then seeing it last night, uh, you know, knowing how everything turns out makes it hit even harder, which I think is funny because it's like part of the gag is there's like a, I don't want to call it flippant, but there is such a, there's a, a, a playfulness and a self-awareness to how fatalistic it is. Like they'll introduce people and then freeze it and then just put a text box up and say, <laughs> this is how this person dies. And when they die, uh, cause you're just waiting for it to happen essentially. Um, but I don't know. I mean, people have asked me like, oh, do you think this is as good as like his other movies like Casino or Goodfellas? I'm just like, they're totally different. I don't think you could compare them because those movies are much more about the text and the story that's actually happening. Whereas this one is more about the the, the meta text of it all. Um, I mean, it plays like a eulogy and it. I mean, I don't know. Last when I was sitting there last night, I. It hit me in a way where a lot of movies, you know, they'll either you you won't be outwardly affected or you'll be kind of just you'll be, you know, plainly sobbing. Whereas this one, I was just sort of like it was like a single tear rolled down my cheek. And then I hit that perfect symbiotic like uh, like symbiotic quality between my eyes and my heart where they both started <laughs> beating in unison um, and my eyes started throbbing a bit and I got a bit of a headache and it felt really good. Um but I, I don't know. It's just the way that Scorsese uses, you know, his parlor tricks at the beginning of his long tracking shots and his uh, music cues and voiceover and then just sort of drops it halfway through. And then it gives way to like, you know, lethargic whip pans or maybe the camera gets a little higher and everything gets a little more static until there's like the last tracking shot in this movie. There's they're basically signifying it, it like it cuts from a character and it goes to a bunch of other people and you can tell that. The other people it, it shows later on are not thinking about anyone who is involved in this movie, and it's just it's really heartbreaking. All right, Billy Clean Slate. Mm. Mm. Okay, so 
I enjoyed this film. I think its length is both a deterrent and also one of the key factors. I think Scorsese is focusing on kind of life in general in this film more than any other film that I've seen him kind of uh, take on. Um, granted, I haven't seen all of his, what, like 35 movies or something? This this guy's fucking prolific for a little – for for – short periods of time, I guess like he'll make like three this year. (laughs) Yeah. He'll make like three films in like a, a four year span and then just like peace out for a decade and just like Marty, where are you? But anyways, um, so I, what do you mean peace out for a decade? I don't know. He takes a little while in between films every now and then. Was twenties? Was it seventeen? Oh, sixteen. It, it was the very end of two thousand sixteen. Oh, yeah, right. Think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, I don't think not three years between not, movies is like that crazy okay. though. He's not. It's not you know, Malik. Yeah, yeah. He I, didn't. He I, didn't literally disappear. This is this is off the top of my head. I'm, I'm called Billy Clean Slate for a reason. Okay? <laughs> um, don't don't interrogate what I say too hard. All right. Um, this is all opinion here. Um, anyways, <laughs> no, facts. no facts. Martin Scorsese doesn't make movies that often is definitely an opinion. I, I, I said he's prolific for periods of time. So okay. I, I said that. Um, anyways, uh, where was I? Oh, so this film is very much about kind of, uh, the life more than I was ever thinking it was actually going to be. And so it's runtime reflects that where he interweaves flashbacks and interweaves, um, all of these kind of looking forward, looking back and all the while find following this one character, um, through his kind of relationship, uh, in the mafia. And I find that, that length helps kind of sell what the story overall. Um, but it is a relatively non flashy film in a way that a lot of his other films aren't. And I think that's most kind of exemplified by the character of Russell played by Joe Pesci, who he basically, from my understanding, talked out of retirement to come back and, uh, be in this film and he is a Pesci that you've never seen before. And I think he's actually the standout, um, which is interesting because uh, De Niro definitely kind of takes a back seat as far as a lively character. We're used to seeing him very kind of, um, for lack of a better word right now, lively. And uh, he's a little bit more kind of nuanced and a little bit more laid back. And I think in regards to kind of all of the characters that these people have played, and Pacino's just being Pacino, um, but for De Niro and for Pesci, I think it's a real turn that we haven't really seen all that often um, for Pesci maybe ever I haven't seen all of his films either, but for De Niro, he's, he's gotten a reputation for being a sleeper, sleepy performer lately. And I mean, this doesn't necessarily knock that off, but 
it's definitely different than his mainstay kind of performances, the ones that you really kind of hear his name uh, bandied about as, you know, one of our greatest actors of, of the past few generations. Um, so overall, I think this film is really enjoyable, but it's definitely something that um, if you're not prepared for it, uh, you're definitely going to have to pace out. This is not Wolf of Wall Street by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and that's both a good thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully audiences are aware of that going in. All right. Like Chicago. Uh, yeah, I fucking love this movie. Um, yeah, I guess the first place to start is I, I, I definitely was thinking about the meta that Matt was kind of referring to throughout this uh, this film. And I, I think it is it is interesting. I do want to talk to more people who don't have any experience with Scorsese because I'm wondering how much, you know, some of the like direct echoes from things that feel like the, you know, the cabana scene in Goodfellas like inverted to you know, characters that are literally in Casino. <laughs> like, there are a number of things that if you are familiar with Scorsese, you have seen, but they're not, they're, they're never this quickly, like, wilting. Like, I, I think what's so interesting about this is uh, the way it starts, like, there's no even, like, there's no, like, tough guy fantasy in this the way a lot of gangster films, not just Scorsese, but, you know, uh, Leon, like these grandiose gangster films are so much about the fantasy of like being that tough guy and, you know, owning the world and stuff. And like from the first moments of this film, it's essentially about like the false promise of that. And, and I think that's incredible. Like the ways that this has like some of the texture that you expect with Scorsese, but also just everything hits a little bit different, whether it's like, you know, a sight gag of someone dying that would have been, you know, it, it's funny as hell <laughs> in like other movies. It lingers just a little bit longer here. So or, or you know, a, a, a shooting. I don't want to get into any specifics. And anyways, like or a shooting or something at a diner, for instance. And it's something that's like. Uh, it, it's a signature of Scorsese, but just the way that it's framed and shot just makes it makes it all the more ugly. And and I think the way this movie constantly meditates that ugliness and then uh, it keeps it both personal, but then especially in the second hour, which is what I which is what I really struggled with um, when I first saw it a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, I think it makes it. It, it fascinatingly universal, like bringing Jimmy Hoffa into it and bringing all of the influence he had in the world. And then just like this almost shadow history of the United States. Like this is a fascinating movie about history um, or about American history, I should say, but then also fully understanding that, that those things don't matter. Like in a way, like it is very much of a piece with the Goodfellas, with the Wolf of Wall Street, with a number of films within Scorsese's, um, within Scorsese's filmography. No, but, wrong word. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is it Au revoir? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
the most basic of basic. It gives me power. (laughs) But but what I would say, though, is just going back finally to that meta thing, the possibility that we are seeing these giants of, of cinema and of like gangster cinema specifically for what is probably the last time on screen, I think is... I think it's magnificent. I think the de-aging is the uh, the Uncanny Valley stuff works perfectly for the weird dissonance that this movie wants to feel all the way through. And I think that it's – I honestly think it's perfect that at no point do any of these characters feel young. Like it, it feels so right to me. And, um, and, then it, and then it just like fucking kicks you in the chest and is like – Oh, you you wanted a fun gangster movie? Too bad. Uh, <laughs> have you seen the later seasons of Sopranos? This is the shit we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's it's, an, it's incredible. I, I'm with Bill though. I think Pesci's my standout of the four. Yeah, so I'm I'm not going to be the guy who suddenly runs in here and is like, well, surprise, surprise, this movie <laughs> is terrible, and I don't know what you all are th- thinking. Um, it'd be it'd be a real shame if you wasted three and a half hours of your life twice. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, no, I I love this movie. This movie is uh, a masterpiece. It's fantastic. It's so good, and it's funny talking about like how oh for Avengers Endgame you could turn your brain off. That makes it like harder for me to sit for all three hours. You know, to like to be to basically be coached against thinking about it too hard. The pleasure in a movie like this is the amount of mental energy you can put into watching it and feeling like an active participant in it. And, you know, realizing at a certain point that, like, Joe Pesci's, like, like the five minutes that they spend at the bowling alley where Joe Pesci's like, I don't think your, I don't think your daughter likes me. Like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's call her over and see if, like, I can get a laugh out of her. And she just looks at him stone-faced and then leaves. Mm-hmm. Is like... You know, she's she's like this morality sniffing dog that like can tell when people are monsters. And then Jimmy at, Hoffa at, at one point he uh he gives her I don't I don't want to go too far into it, but at one point he gives her a present and inside that present yeah. is another present and so she says thank you at her father's behest. And then the second present he's like, "Well, don't you want to say thank you for the other one? And he's just like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. it. Like, it's, she it's said fine. thank you she once. She said thank you yeah. once. She said thank you once. That was good enough. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because he knows that's all he's going to get. And like, it, yeah. it's things like that. You know, it, it's 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 feeling that guiding hand of the narrative and seeing where it goes and, and everything like that. That like, I feel so engaged and like enlivened and just, I almost said, turned on but not in the sexual way but just like like my brain has been activated and i am now a a part of this and it's not a passive experience like watching avengers endgame or any of those other movies like it's it's just there's like a real cognitive thrill in hanging out and seeing everything happening and and feeling the tension of like this incredible morality play that's going on Especially, you know, Michael, it's kind of funny because you say, like, you never believe any of these people are, like, young men. But, like, they don't they don't even start as young men. The digital de-aging takes them to, like, their 40s. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the best part is that, like, in in Goodfellas, 
Martin Scorsese's like, yeah, this little kid wants to be in the mob because they're so cool and like sure. it makes you feel like you have power. And in this movie, it's like this working stiff wants to provide for his family and has a certain moral flexibility that makes him <laughs> valuable to a certain subset of people. And he he just it's weird that like I was watching this and like I I know that like there's a question as to whether Frank Sheeran is full of shit or not. And there's a part of me that was almost like, is this like, are we just taking some guys like mob fan fiction? And like, you know, is he the Mary Sue of this story or like the Gary Stew or whatever they call the male version? But like, or, or he's, something, he's, something relevant, the green book, right? That I don't guy. Know. Yeah, not, not even that. Like, you know, cause like the whole concept of like fan fiction and, and the Mary Sue or Gary Stew is that you're like, I'm going to rewrite this thing that I love, but I'm going to make myself or my stand in the most important character. You know, so it's like, you know, yeah. Brian J. Rowan arrived at Hogwarts and Harry Potter looked at him and said, holy fuck, you're so much more powerful than I am. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I heard someone call it a tall tale, which I which I loved. Right. You know, and it's like I once walked up to a guy. Well, I didn't walk up to a guy. I was like 10 years old or something. And my grandfather took me to a bar and um, I get accosted by this guy you know, who turns to my grandfather and says, Tommy, hey, how you doing? And then, you know, my grandfather's like, this is my grandson, Brian. And this guy turns to me and says, hey, how you doing? Here, shake the hand of the man who shook hands with Elvis Presley. And I'm like, <laughs> 10 years old, and I'm like, Elvis has been dead for a while. This is, it's it's not like you did this yesterday, but also like, I don't even believe that you actually did that. You know, it's just, it's such a weird thing to go for. But the funny thing about Frank is that he doesn't really come off that way. Because he's not saying, like, oh, I had this great idea, I did this thing, and, like, I moved up in power. People legitimately just keep saying, hey, Frank, you want to make a little more money? Mm-hmm. And Frank's like, yeah, I got four kids, I could, I could make some more money. And then it's like, great, you got a problem murdering a guy? It's like, nah, I did that in the war. All right, great, here. I need this guy got. All right, great, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's awesome. And and just watching watching this all play out and feeling the drag of time... Not in viewing time, but in like the actual temporal sweep of this movie. Like there, there's a darkly comic moment at the end of this film that I guess I'll save for spoilers, even though it's the only thing I ever want to hear spoken aloud ever again. But it's just there's oh, this movie is so good. And I watched it the first time, like the day before Thanksgiving, and then I go to Thanksgiving, and then my brother spends the weekend in my house um <laughs> before he flies out. And I'm like, so we're gonna watch The Irishman. And he was like, Oh great, cool, I wanna see that. Didn't you just watch that? I was like, Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna watch this movie again. And like I said, we're watching it, and every once in a while he's just like, Does that remind you of Skippy? <laughs> Does that remind you of the rock man? I'm like, yeah, I'm reminded of a lot of people by this movie. And he's like, it's just so weird to think that, like, our parents hung around with some of these people. <laughs> it's it's so I have another weird, like, level of connection to this movie and, and movies like this just because there's a part of me where I'm just like, this reminds me of my childhood summers in Queens. It's so weird and it's so bad. I don't know that How anyone many murders did you see, Brian? I didn't see many. Okay, but I, I've told the story before, right? Where my wife was like, uh, you know, I don't like how how like how big was the mob? You know, because she wasn't from the East Coast, and I was like, sure. the mob, the mob was huge. Like my parents saw or were near like a bunch of mob hits, and she's like, what? And we called my parents, 
And they're like, oh, yeah, there was this one time these four guys got gunned down in a corner. And then her and my father had a two-minute argument over which corner it was. <laughs> I think it was like, oh, it's the one with the Wombombs. It's like, no, it wasn't where the wa- – no, not where the Wombombs is, where the Wombombs was. Where the liquor store is? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that was the place. Or are you thinking of the other shooting? <laughs> and like, um, what was it? Uh, I've told the story about Frank Frigenti before, right? I maybe I'm blank slate when it comes. To don't this. ask me. So my mother, <laughs> my mother worked in a doctor's office on uh on uh in Howard Beach in Queens, on a uh, Cross Bay Boulevard, and there's this guy who comes in all the time, uh Frank Frigenti, and everyone knows him, everyone loves him. He's a he's a fun, fine guy. Everyone knows he's he's connected, and like a woman in the office is having a baby. And he comes in and he's like, I, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I got you some baby clothes. And he comes in with a box. One of those hang up boxes that you use to like transport clothes that need to be hung up without like wrinkling them. You know, when you're shipping it from a warehouse to a store (laughs) and he gives it to her. And then a different day he comes in and says, Debbie, Debbie, take a look at this. And he hands her a summons like a subpoena. (laughs) For federal court that says the people of the United States versus Francis Frigenti. And he says, can you believe that? Everyone of the United States versus me. <laughs> and then apparently the feds once used a, a broom closet in my mother's office to wiretap the place next door because it was a mob front. <laughs> uh, okay, Brian. <laughs> Uh, this is just all people in Queens, huh? Yeah, you can't throw a dead cat in Queens without hitting a mob person. <laughs> I don't know if that's true anymore, but yeah, no. So, like I said, narratively, this movie is great, but also I have this weird like affection for this movie because I'm just like, ah, my childhood. <laughs> Even though they're all literally horrific people. <laughs> yes, but it's it's more their personalities remind me of people who I'm almost certain were not horrific people, you know, but who probably okay. maybe paid protection money. <laughs> so yeah, five Matt, stars. I feel like this we have to upstage him with some like Chicago mob story, but I got nothing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The other guy, a guy was taking the shit by the Wilson stop. That's that's all I have. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, The Irishman, great movie. Um, cinema. It is. This is. This is in fact cinema, and it's. It's funny oh, that um, yeah. it's not uh, audiovisual entertainment. It's not that. <laughs> it's not. I. I think it's funny that people when when Martin Scorsese said that like there's no surprises in Marvel films like that's kind of the missing element that makes them not cinema to him. They're like, oh, the guy who only makes mob movies. And first of all, he's only made like I don't know five. And again, you know, we've pointed out he's made like twenty five feature films, not counting his documentaries and everything. Mm-hmm. And you know. They run the gamut. You got Age of Innocence. You got Silence. You got Hugo. You know, yeah. you got you got everything. Like, and then you got the mob movies. But then you also got stuff like Bringing Out the Dead, The Wolf of Wall Street. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, after what, hours. After hours. Yeah. And also, and then just like I'm watching this movie, and even this, like, even if you have seen Goodfellas like 26 times and know every beat, like this movie immediately undercuts. Mm-hmm. The, th- the things that you associate with the Scorsese mobster movie. Like, the man just doesn't know how to tell the same story twice. And this movie is such an interesting way for someone to, like, almost grapple with the way that they've 
if not valorized, then at least romanticized this particular genre and these particular types of people. Well, it's fascinating because I, I I go back and forth on this, but like if you go back to those mob movies and the climax, it nearly always ends badly for those <laughs> characters. Yeah. You know, if they're not dead or in jail, they're living a life of anonymity. <laughs> like it's it, you know, it's it, it's just kind of funny to me that this is just that from the jump, though, which which is so interesting. Also, I, I'm sorry, I have to get this out of the way. When I was walking out of the theater, someone was like, it looks like it was it could have been on TV. And I, I wanted to scream. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? It I means... don't under, like, like hearing that from an average person. Uh, uh, yeah. Like elitist Bill underst- Graham coming out. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand what they're taking issue with. Like, did it, did it not look good on the big screen, Mike? No, it looked it, looks, it looked great. Yeah. <laughs> so what the fuck are they even talking about? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't ask them, Bill. Just, well, why well, the hell not, Michael? God Come on. Damn it. Because <laughs> they didn't have their phone out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have. I did have someone who dropped their phone three different times on the floor in a ten-minute stretch. There was someone who ate popcorn like it was concrete, and there was. Um, <laughs> There was, uh, what else? Phone dropper, concrete popcorn. Um, Onion, someone had you got, their any, phone you got out. anything to add? Oh, I, I, <laughs> no, I don't, th- I, I think so. I, I think that was, oh, wait, wait, holy shit. I do have something to add. Okay, so <laughs> I, about two minutes in the movie, I'm like, oh, I really want them to turn this up. So I walk outside, I left my coat there. Oh. This is a packed movie. I, I told Brian this. This is a packed movie, by the way, at, at like 1040 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Oh, and, I totally, this is. Oh, I know. And the funny thing is, I, I know where you saw this because there was just one theater in Chicago that played this. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. No. So I know the abandoned mall you're in. Is, oh, no, Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> it's a good. It's oh, no, no, no. Theater, Wonder, but, wonderful yeah. theater. Also in the same building as an axe throwing place and a real estate <laughs> institute and a Kumon learning center and a Hertz. In a VR. In yeah. a VR lounge. Yeah. Ooh, Man, that's, there's a, that's, a, that's quite a sweet. And uh, <laughs> an entire floor that was bought up by, I think, ITT before they went bankrupt. So now the third floor is abandoned. Mm-hmm. It's a, awesome. It's a hot spot. Go to Clark Also Street. a stylist school where my girlfriend got a, bad, a really bad haircut one time when she wanted to uh, let one of the students cut her hair. Yeah, <laughs> did she know the student? Probably, yeah, that's probably not a they good They did idea. not know the students. They, they re- believe me, they regret this choice. Okay, anyway. So I went to... <laughs> I went to the usher and I'm like, do you mind turning it up a little bit? And she's like, no, not at all. I'll do that. And I come back and I see these three burly dudes in my aisle. And I'm already like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Because <laughs> I, I I had not spread out, but I had on both sides uh, seats that were empty. And it was lovely. <laughs> and then I come up and I see these three guys sit and one of them sits on my jacket. And, and I go up to the guy and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, man, you're on my jacket. And he gets up, he looks back and he's like, oh, 
Okay. (laughs) Three guys get up, try to go further back, which is, there's no seats back there. And then I see them walk all the way around, walk to the front, and finally go to the second aisle, look back, like, around to where I am, like, angrily, and sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, what the fuck? Colt was there. Like I went to help. It's that a dark ass theater. He probably didn't know. I, I um, also that, that they're service. coming in late. You know, that's 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 on them. Yeah. I had yeah, popcorn yeah. during a movie for the first time in like a year this past weekend. It was delightful. <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten how good it was to just eat some popcorn while watching a movie. I went and saw Twenty One Bridges with my brother, Ooh. and uh, he was like, "I'm gonna get popcorn." I was like, "Popcorn, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> What is this? Maybe, maybe maybe get a large popcorn. I can eat some of that popcorn. And he was like, all right, sure. And then we had some people coming late. These people came in did so you, late. Guess what? M&M's in it? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. These people came into the theater so late and they were using all of them. All five of them were using the fucking flashlights oh, on no. their phone. They came no. in so late that they'd already closed all 21 bridges in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you go to 21 Bridges and you get there after they've closed the bridges, you're doing something wrong. Uh, they were committed. There, they spent their money. They were committed. Are there actually 21 Bridges? Is it accurate? No, they're they're more. It 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 depends. You know what like the, what I've heard is that like they originally called it 17 bridges. bridges, but then like they forgot a few. And so there are 21 bridges that lead you off the island of Manhattan. But, you know. But they're not seen in the movie. Not all of them. Well, you do get a lot of bridge shots, though. <laughs> you gotta... is that... The money is on the screen, Mike. The money is on the screen. <laughs> yeah, Matt, that sounds like a code <laughs> for something. Bridge uh, shots? Yeah. It sounds hot. <laughs> I don't know what it okay. all right, all right. if you're an we, architecture we person 21 bridges oh. we're getting dangerously close to <laughs> elapsing this film's running oh time. man okay going yeah. down this route let's talk about this fucking movie yeah, um, yeah. this movie primarily so, not in new okay. york mostly in uh philadelphia or pittsburgh mm-hmm. which one yes. Pittsburgh. yeah uh, and some in philly yeah yeah, yeah. and chicago yeah. Um, yeah, where, where's where's fucking Amanda when we need her? Um. <laughs> anyways, um. So I want to ask a couple of things. Okay, um, sure. Cannot wait. First, and this shouldn't be a spoiler. It shouldn't be. I mean, uh, Russell asks him about it early on. Uh, remind me again what makes him Irish? He's Irish. Okay, but his why father is Irish. A, doesn't he have like an Italian accent? No. No? He's no. putting on an Irish accent? It's not an Irish accent. I think it's just a a, 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 a Pennsylvania accent. It is oh. pretty weird that they got De Niro to play Irish. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what I'm wondering. I'm just like, what the fuck makes him Irish except for the fact that he was born in Ireland, I guess. No, he, he was not born in Ireland. He was okay. His father was Irish. His mother was Polish. But he was okay. raised Irish Catholic. Uh-huh. And back and then, in and those then he times, learned, he learned Italian in from his time in the war, being a, in Italy. Yes, in and around Italy. Yes. Okay, th- that was that was crystal clear. But him being Irish was not crystal clear because it, his name is Robert fucking De Niro, and so I was. Well, his really character's name is Frank fucking Sheeran. Sheeran. I mean, sure. yeah, Sheeran is pretty Irish. It's Irish yeah. as hell. 
Okay. Just but like Buffalino. I, I was expecting, expecting him to have like an accent or something or look it. And he just, just looks like Robert jigging Niro. into the place and goes, oh, Faith and Begora. <laughs> I want his name to be Patrick O'Guinness. <laughs> the fact that he loves drinking red wine also didn't help, you know? <laughs> You're yeah, right, he's a Matt. Yeah. He should have just been I, drinking Guinness the whole movie. Oh, oh, so, yeah. Just a little confused by that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing, um, did oh, y'all man. pick up how many daughters that he had originally? Because for the longest time, and you know, I heard this as both as a criticism and also kind of playing into the film's favor that we don't really hear from any of the other daughters except for the one that turns into Anna Paquin. You, we do from the other one right at the end, but well, I, yeah. Yeah, but like Dolores, we're like, who the fuck are you? I've watched three and a half hours. Who the fuck are you? I was so confused by her. Well, he's got four daughters. Yes, but we like hardly ever focus on any of them. And I think no, he's too busy going around murdering people. Exactly. (laughs) And well, and that was the other thing about this film kind of overall is like he is so focused on doing favors for everybody else that he doesn't stop and help his own family. Right. right. Well, okay. So, so they do a good job at that. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that... like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Matt. <clears throat> oh, okay. I mean, I was just thinking like last, last night when I saw one thing, I, I don't know if I forgot about this or didn't like, but, uh, there's the scene where they're in the bowling alley, uh, pretty early on in the movie. And it's just their families hanging out. And there's what looks like, uh, all of his family members just like lining, like stepping back and lining up a shot and then throwing the ball. And it's cutting that into what's essentially like a, a really quick match cut to like add up to a second. And then it cuts back to a shot of Robert De Niro. And then you realize, oh, that was a POV shot and they're all interchangeable. And it's just, and then his mm. daughter walks. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really, really sad. And then his daughter walks up and then Joe Pesci does his little thing about like, you know why the birdies bump their heads? You know why God made the sky so high? (laughs) Yeah, so they don't bump their little heads when they fly around. And then he's like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Which, by the way, is a creepy little thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just Joe Pesci. I can't can't see him as like a... There is the the amount of... This is a cultural thing that we've kind of gotten away from, but the (laughs) amount of doting that a a lot of older men do on like younger women in this movie. Yeah. But like, again, that's, that's that's like a cultural thing. Like you come over, you're like in love with the family, like you're, you're trying to get on everyone's good side, like... It, it's that kind of concept of like raising like children as a village and you want every but like nowadays it comes off real creepy yeah because you're like who the fuck are you <laughs> i was talking <laughs> yeah. to my brother about this you know we're, we're at my house and um i'm we're like doing something in the yard and i was telling him like you know the the people across the the way like the street from me they have two dogs they got a kid that's my age like i ought to be their best friend you know because i have a dog i have a kid their age like we should be hanging out all the time but how do you do that <laughs> Like, what do you do? Like, do I walk over and be like, hey, uh, you know, our lives seem fairly comparable. Maybe we should be friends. <laughs> I was like, but I remember back in the day, like growing up on the neighborhood I was in in the early 90s, the family's just like, it was like that. You know, you say, oh, the family across the street has a little like a little girl your age. Mm-hmm, like, we should go mm-hmm. over and like say hi and become their best friend. And mm-hmm. we should have a cookout with them once a month. Like, you know, and it's just like. 
what happened? It feels like we've been very slowly but surely like destroying the intimacy that we feel between other people until we're these isolated, terrified units. Well, I think, I think, I mean, this is a larger conversation about just kind of life in general, but I mean, that goes back to the whole idea of, of how you make friends, the older you get, right? Like Mm -hmm. it used to be confined spaces. And so you would see each other, you would talk to each other, and then you would start picking out people that you liked and then, and then you would hang out with them. Right. But now it's like, oh, this neighbor that I don't fucking know that I never interact with happens to kind of line up with my life how the fuck do I like do this in a way that isn't really forced and awkward, just like any forced friendship would be initially, right? Like eventually you get over it if you click and everything like that. But you know, yeah, at first it's going to be fucking weird. Like, you know, I I remember not that long ago, like having some people that like at the gym that I get, get along with and like asking for their number, is really fucking weird. Like mm-hmm. it, it's just like, and and this is why like Facebook is so nice because now you can just knock that shit out of the park without any face to face interaction, and you could be like, "Hey, I'm gonna message you on Facebook." Now we're Facebook friends. Cool, cool, cool. I don't want to <laughs> message you on Facebook anymore. Here's my number. Give me a text, right? And then and then it's perfect. It's just nice and smooth. But in person. Yeah, it's it's fucking weird. It's just, uh, like, especially because like again, like you know, he's out bowling with his family. And he brought his friend Russ along, you know, and then later on they're they're <laughs> yeah. mini golfing, and he's brought Jimmy along. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I just like if I were hanging out with my family, I don't know if I'd invite like my friend Daryl along with me. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't my I don't know if that's a thing. Fucking that we do. friend, and I think cute with your neighbor, Brian. I gotta I gotta work on that. I gotta like let my dog out so he can go like run over and bark at their dogs. Oh, and be like, oh wow. my god, I'm so sorry. My dog is uh. the timing. I um but yeah, it's 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 one of these things watching this movie, and I think that that's another thing that we could say in this movie's favor is its evocation of time and place and the relationships is just so spot on it's so like this is such a lived in beautiful world and i think one of the reasons i responded to it emotionally as much as i did just on like a i remember when level is just because of that because of the specificity because of all those little character moments that add up mm-hmm. i i well, think even the music which is something you know we, we've talked about those cues in, in scorsese mm-hmm. films for years but like it was weird. I was actually going through the soundtrack a little Who, bit earlier today. Who's who's the composer for this? Was wasn't it like Robbie, a big it's Robbie name? Robertson from the band? Okay, okay, all right. Um, and uh, you know, I I have heard some people say that they don't particularly like the main theme. I, I, Matt, I don't think you're a big fan, are you? I thought well, the the I think there are parts where it works, um, and that's mostly has to do with the fact that this movie is not nostalgic. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I like because I think sure. nostalgia is incredibly dangerous and I kind of resent nostalgia, especially when it's peddled into a movie. Um, a lot of this movie is caked oh, in. Is, a lot seen, of this movie is like, well, what's up? Have you seen this movie called The Force Awakens? I think you might really like it. <laughs> I haven't heard about it. Is that 824? <laughs> Bleaker Street, ahead. actually. Oh, cool. So it has John Lithgow in it. <laughs> Damn. He's gay and lives in New York. <laughs> Oh man. Um yeah, but it's 
It's a movie that uh, has no nostalgia about it, which I was, if anything, I would be kind of frightened if it did. Um, and that's one thing I was, you know, you like, obviously you try to go into stuff with an open mind, but I'm like, if this is a nostalgic gangster movie, I'm going to be, <sighs> and it wasn't. Um, but because the thing was a lot of it was caked in on we, and when, when the, the score is complementing those scenes, it works. But for the most po- uh, for the most part, it didn't do a ton for me. I think it's it's just another factor that makes the last hour or so work even better because the hour the last hour is definitely silent, and yeah. you know we can go we can get into that later. But you know for now, yeah, the score didn't do a ton for me. I thought it was kind of dull. Yeah, but I I, I guess um, I I I did want to mention I, I think you're the score is an interesting thing. I, I mean, the sound design is something again, but I guess what I'd say, what I can say in non-spoilers is that the music cues in this are are so haunted, like in the still of the night, for instance, like I, I've never heard that in, in like, you know, it's in just how like slow and lethargic, like the whole rhythm is. And I think so many of the songs that were chosen for this are, are so interesting in comparison. I, I'm sorry that I keep going to Goodfellas. I, it's just the, it's the, it's, it's the one to go to because it, it's this movie the is definitely one. in conversation with Goodfellas. Yes. I mean, it, yeah. to the point that there's, there's a beautiful difference between the two. Um, sure. Specifically the scene where, so in Goodfellas, one of my favorite moments in Goodfellas is when uh, Karen calls up Henry and is yeah. like, you know, this guy, he, I know him from uh, the neighborhood. He lives across the street and he like, you know, tried to rape me. He's like, sure. what? And he drives over there and you see the car pull in and you see him get out and then you see him pistol whip the with shit the out of this guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, he hits him in the face with a gun. Oh, that's repeatedly. Right. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, and then yeah, he yeah. comes over to Karen. He's like, hide this for me. And her little internal monologue kicks in and she's like, I know a lot of women who wouldn't have stuck around after that. Sure. But I got to be honest, like, you know, it turned me on. And um, in this movie, the same thing happens when his daughter, like, knocks over something in a shop and the shopkeeper pushes her. And and Frank is like, all right, we're going to go take care of this. And again, it's an unbroken shot. Sure. It's from far away. He beats the shit out of the shopkeeper as his daughter stone faced watches and she is not impressed and she will never come to him with any problem ever again because Henry Hill was lucky enough to find a woman who would tolerate that and found it a little a little nice maybe because of her youth you know because I think at that point in the movie they're both supposed to be in like their 20s sure but this is a, a 40 something year old man and his daughter and if, if if Cora ever came up to me and was like, you know, dad, that dog scared me and I went and stomped the dog to death, I don't believe that she would be happy with me. Probably not. <laughs> you know, she wants to know that you, she, a child wants to know that you love and care about them, not that you hate the world so much that you will use them as an excuse to strike back at it, you know? I, I think it's not just... <coughs> Excuse me. It's not just Paquin either, who we will talk about for sure. But I, I think even the first scene with Russell's wife, uh, very early on when he comes home bloodied, uh, and and I'm not sure we even find out who he killed. As I think about that, no. like it's very early in the movie, and he comes home bloodied, and his wife was uh her dad i think was a uh, was in the mafia or something like he was connected in some way and she was just her, like, her bloodline yeah her bloodline yeah. goes back to italy and her 
bloodline is basically mob royalty. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of some of the initial families that kind of set everything up. And in a totally chilled, I, I shouldn't say chilled. I, I, I mean like a uh, cold, horrifying way. She says like, I'll run the bath for you. Get rid of those. Don't forget about the fucking shoes. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like I, it, it, it comes in, I think another fascinating contrast with, Goodfellas like I, I don't think it's just daughters I think it's the this like cannibalizing world that's there from the beginning like I, 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 Brian I think you're like spot on in, in describing it I, I to be honest I hadn't really thought about how almost transactional um, uh, Frank's job is like it, it like every time that he's given something of a promotion it, it, with one exception, I would say late in the film, um, it, it's it, it's like, do you want to do this for me? <laughs> you know, whether it's <laughs> the guy is like, can you firebomb this laundry for me or, you know, uh, Frank, I, I need this guy uh, out of the picture. Like it's they're both equally perfunctory to him and and that's like that's again so so fascinating to to see him like uh, play with these and still do it in a way that's striking like i don't think that any of the set pieces for instance in this are are tedious or like poorly framed or anything it's just it's another texture to like tropes we've seen and it's it's just kind of amazing that he's able to revitalize it the way he does honestly yeah i mean it is interesting because you know he he shoots it one way in in goodfellas and some of his other uh kind of mobster films and then this time around he's he's kind of like what if we take like two more steps back and what if we don't turn up the the soundtrack? And what if we don't make sure. this as bombastic and as fun as it kind of seems? Like even even the fucking hits. Like there's a sequence where uh, Frank is like picking out the weapons, and yeah. he's just like setting them aside, trying to plan out this hit. And you're just like, this is so perfunctory. This is so just like. It's not cool. It's not fun. It's just, you know, there's sequences like that in John Wick where it just kind of, even if you're not Hmm. into guns, kind of makes you salivate. And this is just like, oh, like all of these guns look like pieces of shit. Like they're all brown (laughs) and they're all kind of just fucking raggedy. And it's just like, you know, I mean, to the point where I think at one point he, he mentions like, don't use the ones with the silencers and you're like silencers. What the fuck is this movie? Like I didn't even know anybody use silencers in this fucking world. Like this is, this is wild. And so, yeah. And then he pulls off this hit where you're just like, again, I think, I think he does a lot of tracking shots and a lot of kind of wonders or at least, you know, pseudo wonders. And, sure. In that, he doesn't make a big deal about, like, how things are going on. And a lot of these hits are just – he just fucking walks up to people and then is like, hey, confirms – basically says their name to turn them around and then shoots them in the fucking face, like, two times and then once in the chest and then leaves. And it's just like – and nobody's, like, trying to punch him. Nobody's trying to, like, mob him. He just – like people are just like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and that's it. Done. 
And yeah. it's just like, Jesus, like <laughs> no That's... wonder these guys thought they were fucking untouchable, you know, like, and, you know, not to say that this is how it actually happens or, you know, how these hits actually occur. Um, but, you know, it it is kind of putting on this air of, yeah, these guys thought they were untouchable until someone else did the most fucking mundane thing to sure. them and shot them in the face. And he's just like, mm, I'm going to shoot you in the face and you it, can't do shit about it. It's interesting, too, that there, you know, there are some of the more peppy kind of, you know, uh, you know, colorfully foul mouths. You know, you have Tony Pro played by Stephen Graham or or you have uh, Joe Gallo or, you know, even um, like you do have some of those like assassins who seem to have a reputation that Frank doesn't have. Like he'll, you know, alternate between you know, rubbing someone out and then like being a chauffeur. (laughs) Like it's, it's so interesting to see how ultimately like low level he is. Like it's constantly a reminder of how little he matters. I I don't know. I I feel like we're hammering this and I'm wondering if we should get into spoilers, (laughs) but, um, I, I definitely think there's there's a lot to talk about, and with three and a half hour movie, it's very hard to kind of get your head around like what is and isn't a spoiler. And sure. it, you know, like I mean, w- just point blank, it is a mafia movie. There's a lot of fucking people that die in this movie. Um, so you know, there's <laughs> that. So you know, if if we kind of spilled the beans on a couple of things or whatever, it's like, eh. Well, as Matt pointed out earlier, <laughs> the movie spills its beans on a lot of its own people. You know, it, it's yeah. like, it'll, it'll introduce someone to be like, shot in the head eight times on the steps of the city hall in 1980. The, the funniest of those was like, this one yeah. guy, liked by all, died yeah, of I'll natural causes in 2002. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, that's a good one. I, yeah, I was no. I was, I was expecting I was waiting for like the next like slide to come up and it just never does and I was just like okay I guess he's just a fucking nice guy. <laughs> that and the flag joke is my favorite. <laughs> the flag joke when when uh after JFK dies. JF, after JFK dies. <laughs> that's, that's fucking that's some wild ass shit right there. That's some wild ass shit. I, I was mean, like, I was like, is this fucking happening right now? Oh my god! I got. I want to find out if that actually happened. That must be known somewhere, but it's one of the things that I did not look up. Um, were, were any of you guys familiar with any of this uh, surrounding? I shouldn't say surrounding history. There's a few major things in this, but uh, for instance, Hoffa's actual reputation, what he actually accomplished, like. Um, I had, yeah. I had heard his name, but I mean, it, and I think I think they even say it in the film. Like most people, when they think of Hoffa, they just think of the fact that he fucking disappeared. Like there's yeah. no body, yeah. there's no trace of him, and everything it's the like running that. Joke, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I knew about that. I had heard about that. Um, I knew he was kind of ahead of a lot of the unions and Teamsters, but. You know, a lot of that has gone so far into the wayside, and this film does a good job of kind of picturing that and and showing that out. Sure. But I mean, it's certainly true. Where you know, if someone was the head of a, a union, you'd be like, "Who? Huh? 
what what union you know um you know i i, yeah, also I don't think any of our in, unions are are this powerful anymore no and I, and i, I also <laughs> work in in texas where it's a you know uh what is it right to work yeah, right to work state. So, you know, uh, we don't really have unions, but uh, except for like police and fire and some other uh, sections. But other than that, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, it used to be a very, very powerful thing. And then, you know, uh, of course, uh, manufacturing and a lot of the things that surround union jobs, right? Um, and th- it's not just like, skilled labor or stuff like that uh but there there's other kind of nuances and other sectors of union work but a lot of people just kind of think of uh labor and they think of you know manufacturing and they think of teamsters they think of truck drivers and so you know that's not really a thing anymore um not as big as it at least as it was right so yeah I, I think one last fascinating connection. I can't help but think about how like Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street and, you know, all of those Wall Street guys just kind of took Frank and Hoffa's lunch. Like, <laughs> like you could really say the end of the Irishman is really the beginning of the Wolf of Wall Street and this whole new, you know, false dynasty mm-hmm. that didn't care about tradition. They didn't care about you know, a, a natural order or, uh, you know, even it was just a feeding frenzy. Like, I, and I think well, that's, that's what's so interesting is that like, uh, you know, Goodfellas kind of comes at the, at the end of that. I mean, like, you know, yeah. Henry Hill like decides to push cocaine, which he has explicitly been told not to do. Yeah. By, um, Oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, before we get into spoilers, any final thoughts on the movie, uh, Matty Onions? <laughs> uh, oh, um, I mean, yeah, speaking of like, uh, the, the entire, the historical context of Jimmy Hoffa, I just, I, I was at the same theater, um, in, that I saw it in last night. I was there a couple, uh, I was there a couple weeks ago and I heard this woman just so angry about the the falsities of the narrative and the way that it spewed these lies about the history of Jimmy Hoffa. And I'm just thinking, I don't understand. Okay, I'm sure there's going to be someone who's that thick <laughs> that they're going to take this as more than a grain of salt. But when you're seeing something that is adapted from a book and it is a Scorsese picture with, a bunch of, with three giants in it, I think you're going to know it's fictitious. Also, if you know anything about... <clears throat> Here, okay, I, is this like here? Okay, I guess this constitutes a spoiler. What I'm about to say, All right. uh, yeah, okay. Like he's not. You don't like you see Jimmy Hoffa die. Like you see him die, and you see what happens to him. And uh, Frank just goes, and that was the end of that. And you don't get Geraldo opening up a tomb. <laughs> and, like I, which would have been right. fucking hilarious, but. It's like, of course, this is fictitious. It's historical fiction. It's historical fict- fiction in a, in a meta context. Like, right. I'm, I'm not taking. I, I feel like a lot of this borders on allegory to a certain extent. Well, well yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, like, it's it's about this concept of like, and 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 Russ brings it up. You know, he's like, I I I chose 
us over him like you know what like what do you like what's your what's your loyalty to is it to your family or is it to your friends and like if it's to your family which is in this case the mob and in this case a business then the business interests have to win out over whatever love you may have for this man and he says you know we we tried so hard to keep him alive and um you know it is what it is uh it was funny when i was watching with my brother and uh and Joe Pesci says, like, you got to tell Jimmy it is what it is. Like, my brother's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was as though, like, you know, Thanos had just pulled on the Infinity Gauntlet or something. Like, it was like it was it was a reaction wow. of like, oh, my God, like, it's over. Like, this is that's the thing you never want to hear a mob person say. And it's a it's a credit to this movie that you live in this world and you see these people and you hear these things and you know when that happens, what it means, and you care so much about the characters and their relationships that it's like mm-hmm. this this poor man has just been told to tell his best friend that he's probably gonna get murdered. Yeah. Um, and, um real quick uh, confirmation. Uh so I found out I found an article from the Los Angeles Times in nineteen ninety-two. They mentioned uh Hoffa hated the Kennedys so much that when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, Hoffa refused to lower the flag at Teamster headquarters, saying I hope the worms eat his eyes out. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's you're the leader of a fucking truckers union. Of course you're a badass. Of course you're an, like, that, that just makes so much sense to me. I, um, one of the many men in this movie who reminded me of someone from my childhood was the, the, uh, the really loud Chicago guy who, um, was talking about the cabs. Like, you first meet him in the Schwitz, and then he's like, you know, Jimmy Offa, he doesn't drink. You know, and the other thing is he doesn't want people, the, the head of the biggest truckers union doesn't drink. And he doesn't want anyone to drink around him. But he also hates watermelon. But we're going to eat some fucking watermelon. And he puts the vodka in the watermelon. And I'm like, this loud, profane, just unctuous man reminds me of a lot of people that I met as a child. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a bartender that I know. Yeah. Um, who is another one of the guys who reminded me of someone? Oh, the uh, the whispers, not not the whispers who got blown up in a car. The other whispers, the good whispers, who wants to the blow up the uh, the the laundromat. Um, he reminds me of uh, of Skippy, a guy I knew who had that same kind of like voice and just way of talking. Loved that guy. Um, yeah, it's also funny. I just want to throw this out here. So. When we were talking about a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I said, like, I'm glad that they didn't completely, like, jump over Fred Rogers' Christianity, but I sort of wish there was a little more. And, you know, sometimes you get what you ask for in the way that you don't want it. And it's just like, of course, I then see a mob movie (laughs) and Christianity is just shot through the whole goddamn thing. I mean, how many baptisms do we see in this? I do think it's interesting (laughs) how annoyed, like, the made mobsters are during that first baptism. Like... Uh, De- like De Niro and Pesci are glowing during that scene, but all of the other kind of guys, they look like they would rather be anywhere else, which yeah. does feel in like stark contrast to, uh, you know, Scorsese's treatment of a religion, like, you know, beyond the symbolism. Well, I think in, that in is the, obviously shot through, but the, the first baptism is like, it's just the family. And then the second one, there's a shit ton of right. people there. And it's pretty clear that they're all there because I think Russ is being made her, her godfather. Yeah. 
And so they're like, well, you know, if Russ, is, this is like a Russ thing, you know, we got to we got to come and, and be there for Russ because this is important to him. But uh, I don't give a shit about this Irish kids or this Irish guy's child. <laughs> because, um, yeah, like back in the day, like there was a big difference between Irish Catholic and Italian Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, what a what a good movie! What a just what a just fantastic movie! Like I, I watched it and then immediately wanted to watch it again, and instead I had to wait a day, you know. <laughs> and I went to Thanksgiving, and I was like, "So, uh, who here has seen The Irishman?" And uh, my brother-in-law, who should have seen it already, was like, "I'm finishing the book before I watch the movie," and I was like, "God damn it, Chris! <laughs> I need to talk about this fucking movie with someone." All right, let's let's get to some let's get to some specifics. Yes, so sir. I love uh, like when you hear like this movie is about Frank Sheeran who claims he killed Jimmy Hoffa. You think it's sure. going to be this big moment and <clears> it's <throat> not. It's so dimly anticlimactic. Yeah. It, it's to the point where I didn't even understand that he was actually going to kill him because he says to Frank, Russ does, you're going to get on a plane and you're going to go to Detroit and yeah. you're going to come back. And then we're going to go drive the wise up to Detroit. And I was just like, oh, so the idea is that they're going to put him in the air on this private like little air jet. And that way he cannot interfere with the hit that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking was going to happen. Turns out, no, fuck that. He's actually going to do the hit. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? Because like. Everything else, it's so clear, it's so blunt, it's so easy to understand. All of these hits. I want you to kill this guy. Okay, done. Yeah, I want you to kill this guy. Okay, done. I want you to do this. Okay, done. Run into this diner, shoot him, and run out. (laughs) Exactly. This time around, he just kind of gives him vague ideas, and I knew something was up when he got in his car and he looks at his hand and he has an address written down. Mm-hmm. A, I don't know how the fuck people ever found an address without like having a fucking maps co. Um, but he does it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you saw him at the beginning of the movie. Like he's like, all right, I got to drive from here to here to Detroit. And you see him like tracing the route you, on the map. You see the map. Then you don't see the map when he lands in fucking Detroit. No, he, he does. Just, he's, he's got the map in. It's in the glove box with the gun that he's yeah. going to use. Ah, okay. Well, anyways, uh, this is, this is why I, I don't pick up on shit like this that. This is why you're Billy um, clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is why I, I accept what you say as gospel and move right on. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, like everything else about this film is so clear and so easy to kind of follow and understand as far as the hits are concerned. And this one time it really kind of led me down a road that I wasn't really expecting. Um, even to the point when like he actually sees him at the, the, red fox house something like that the fox red house um sure. some it looks like a german like restaurant or something mm-hmm. i don't know why they're having lunch there um or a meeting there but whatever um but like even to the point when he like drives by i was like it's fucking hoffa look he's still alive i was like what the fuck is going on in this movie i don't understand um and he didn't seem that that thrilled to see the people that he saw over in the house when he arrives and he's just like, all right, 
these fucking guys. Okay. And one guy is fucking laying down uh, vinyl flooring, it looked like. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on. Oh, and I understood very by, much what well, was going on there. Uh, and then all, all by the end, I was like, there it is. Okay. Yep. Everything kind of nice and neat wraps up. Nice and easy to understand, but I was just like, what the fuck is going on the entire time that that hit was kind of all taking place? But I love how methodical that entire sequence is, because it's also at that point where it really goes, it really, like, to the point of no return and how static a lot of its composition is. Like, Mm -hmm. the one shot that I love so much that keeps going back to is it looks like the camera is, like, almost next to the top of a telephone pole. And you just, yeah, and you just see the car go the back fork, and forth. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. The fork in the road. And you just see the car go back and forth. And it's almost like the way it's the way that it's framed, it's basically just like the car is kind of like dipping through the corners of the screen, like this inverse parabola. And it just does that back and forth to sort of like shoulder the scenes together. And it just becomes so repetitive in such a good hypnotic way. And it just yeah. leans into like the banality of everything that has come before that. And I just I yeah I it's also at that point where it's it's dead silent, and I love that. Yeah, he, he, he like the second he leaves the car after Russ asks him to leave his sunglasses, it's like just quiet. And he walks into the house and sees all the people, and Sally Bugs is just like, you know, you're, Chucky's late. I guess hang out. I'm gonna keep cutting the linoleum so we don't ruin the floors here. <laughs> and um, and then he shows up, and they're just in, and the, the whole thing with the fish. Yeah. The okay. fish is, is so good. I just and it's it's little things like that that's just like darkly yeah. comic because you're like these guys are gonna go fucking murder this guy, and Sally Bugs is furious that this kid doesn't know what kind of fish it was. I I feel like that scene too. I, I swear I'm not gonna be labor this running time thing, but like that scene along with the you know previous ending of this road trip that we see right at the beginning as mm-hmm. well as the banquet scene are all a testament to like the god Thelma <laughs> like she knows exactly <laughs> the rhythm that you know Scorsese wants to get with those and and the way that it really really as as Matt was saying like it, it's not only methodical but it really just lets these scenes play out lets you fully watch the facial expressions like even uh right around the time that matt was talking about that one where it's like a telephone pole i love just the interior shot where he's driving past but he's far enough that uh you know hoffa can't see him but he's driving past to go you know to go around to go the long way and it really does feel like you know, it's it's the final. Um, excuse me. It, it's it, it really gives that finale just this accumulating weight that I, I think is is so incredible, and especially the, coming after that. You know, plane scene and the breakfast. Like, oh man! And that the whole movie scene. is 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 old Frank in the nursing home sure. telling this story. But like, what's funny is he's like, you know. He, he does this whole little thing about like, you know, I started painting houses and um, he's like, you know, th- this this particular thing. And he doesn't even say like the time I killed my best friend, Jimmy Hoffa, sure. you know, started with a wedding. And so you've got this trip to the wedding that also evokes all these other memories of how it all came to this. And y- you expect that the movie is going to 
ramp up to that. And instead, it slows the fuck down. Yeah. You know, it's just this insane. He's like, smartly narrating into the void as well. Yeah. And he's 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 like you said, like like we've all said, he's just he's driving there. You get these driving shots that like orient you on where you're going to be and where you're going to come through again. You know, and he and you're, it's just so weird because you're like, this is the thing that he has been narrating into the void this entire time, like talking around sure. it, taking these little segues. And now he's going to do it. And it's there's no like drum roll. There's no tension you know, Jimmy comes into the house, looks around, says, all right, Frank, we got to get out of here. And then he just shoots him in the back of the head and then he pulls his body a little bit away from the door and he puts his gun on top of it and he leaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he 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 does his little shrug and he's like, and that was that. Yeah. I mean, and other than so, the hug, too, like it's it's not like he gives him a tell or anything like. No. Uh, Frank is he's resigned to his fate by, by the time he gets into the car. So, well, there's another great Pacino movie, um, about being in the mob, uh, Donnie Brasco. And he says like, that's how it is. Like, you know, it's, it's not a big thing. You know, you walk into a place and someone shoots you in the back of the head and it's your best friend who does it. Sure. You know, cause like they knew they needed Frank to get him in the car, you know, they needed someone he trusted yeah. and he did. And, uh, and that was a mistake, especially after, you know, Frank had been trying to fucking tell him to just shut the fuck up and retire. Like, stop trying to do this. God damn. That, that was it was so frustrating to just see Hoffa's, you know, as portrayed as by Pacino here. Just like just put his fucking head in the sand and just go, nah, 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 nah. They can't touch me. And it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? People are dying all around you. Like they like, say, if, if they can yeah, whack like, a you're, president, you're, they can lag, whack yeah. the president of a union. Like, you know, ask, ask your best friend how many fucking people he's murdered. Like, do you want the first time you like, spoke to him, you asked if he painted houses, you know, yeah. that that's a job that the mob needs, you know, it's just God. Like, I just, it was so frustrating to just watch him just, just not get it. And, and like, you know, he, he was fucking powerful. And at a time, I think they were even thinking that he might campaign to run for president. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, this is how powerful Hoffa was at a time. And the way that this film kind of paints it is that he wasn't necessarily connected to the mob, although the mob was definitely in favor of him while they were working with him. Um, they also do a very good job of mentioning that Hoffa has quite a large sum of money that he controls because of the union and because of the retirement funds and everything like that. And that, uh, or the pension funds and so that the mob oftentimes would come to him to get loans for legitimate businesses right uh you yeah, know they wanted they, to start a casino they they got yeah, a bridge loan from sure. them and that that's that you know you got to do that with a pension you can't just set it down somewhere you got to do investments no. to get you money to so that these people can actually retire and mm-hmm. It's not like a bank, you know, if you're friends with Jimmy Hoffa, you can get a good rate just because you're friends with him. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a, it's not a great situation, though, as this movie proves. No. Um, so he was certainly connected, but he wasn't necessarily mafia uh, blood or, or, you know, no, he wasn't a good like fella. That. He wasn't in the mob. No, 
No. And, uh, you know, just you would think that being that close to the circle, though, you would get it. And he just in this film, at least, just doesn't get it. Well, there's this fantastic scene that takes place during like Frank Sheeran appreciation night. Yeah. And it's just like. And it, and it, 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 it almost is mugging, the mean mugging that one of the it, we don't really get to know him all that well. I think his name is Tony or something like that. Uh, Big Tony, Tony Soprano. Yeah. Or no, Salerno. Um, t- uh, talking Salerno. about Tony Pro or Salerno? No, Salerno. No, Salerno. Salerno. That's, that's a funny point in the, the movie when it's son. like uh, that's actually part of that scene because it begins with a number of conversations between Fat Tony, Salerno and Frank and then Frank having to go to talk to Jimmy Hoffa. And then Frank and Jimmy talking, and then Frank having to come back to talk to Salerno about everything that Jimmy said. And it's like this 30-minute long, the hotels plus the Frank Sheeran appreciation night, that is just Frank trying to get his friend not to get murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, and it's so long. And I think that that's one of the things where people are like, oh, it's like, you know, you can break it up like a TV show. Like, you really can't, because like, no. it's a 30-minute scene. It's... And it's cut in such a way and it bleeds into everything else so much. There's a flow to it that it's it's not it's not possible like that you could put a commercial break in there or break this up in that way. I really don't think going back to, you know, I, I wrestled at first with that second hour, but I don't think that from that scene on it has that impact if we don't see all the ways that Hoffa tried to influence and ultimately fail to influence the world mm-hmm. like uh, like those scenes of of his power contrasted with you know salerno you know saying like you know talking to buffalino and being like what the fuck is jimmy doing here like he's rising tell him we love him we support him we're yeah. not going to stand in his way and then it goes from that to tell him you know we love him maybe sure. he should think about taking his pension retiring all right, now mm-hmm. you just got to tell him it is what it is. Yeah, like, like, yeah, you know, it, and I love how it, for instance, like, it centers on the Bay of Pigs and the, uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't shoot who who does that person try to assassinate? Why am I being an idiot? Which person in uh, Cuba? They were trying to kill Castro. Oh, was it? Yes. Well, the Bay of no, Pigs no, no, was no, a no, bunch of, Bay of pigs. No, no, no. I meant no. the earlier, the earlier scene where it's like a second uh, protest. Yeah. It's like a protest in Cuba. Is it just Castro? Wait, are you talking about when the um the African American guy shoots a guy? Yes. yes. No, that was not. That wasn't in Cuba. That was in. That was in. I think it was Columbus Square. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. yeah. Okay. It was definitely in the United States. I got confused because I thought that there were. Hispanic flag. I, I'm okay. I'm no, okay. Told. So that was the um. That was I think that was Joey Gallo killing. Oh fuck! What's his name? Um. Uh. Christ! It's gonna annoy the shit out of me if I can't remember this. Anyway, okay. so so what what's happening there is there's this thing called like the Italian American League or something. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. No, please continue. And so, um, he, I think it, it was, was it, was it Columbo? I think it was Joseph Columbo. Sure. Um, so anyway, so he, yeah, the Italian American Civil Rights League. Um, and so. I didn't totally get this, to be honest, why so, it was such a problem for some people. So, so Joey Gallo, uh, 
Joey the Blonde is he was a guy who was like a fucking mad rabid dog in the mob and sure. um he 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 started kind of like breaking off he he hung around apparently he hung out with Jerry Orbach a lot because okay. Orbach played him or a version of him in a stage play and Joey Gallo was like this play makes me look like a punk and he goes and he hangs out with Orbach and they become friends but anyway um <laughs> So what happens is he decides that he wants to uh, go to war with these people. And then um, he he hires. Uh, well, so the, the real question is, like, was this a mob hit or was this something else crazy? But the assumption that they make is that Joey Gallo hired this African-American photojournalist to shoot uh, Colombo during one of his uh, Italian-American Civil Rights League meetings. And so when he gets shot. Russell and everyone are like, this is crazy. Like, you cannot do this. Like, this isn't the way it's done. So something's got to be done about Joey. And so they turn to Frank and they're like, you know, just go shoot him at a Umberto's Clare house. Clam house. Fuck. Okay. I didn't totally get that until you explained it right now. All right. I didn't well, realize that guy was being set up. Okay. Yeah. Like, they, they I, do it. They talk a little. There, there's a lot in this movie that is is actual, like, real history. Like, um, sure. the guy who gets killed in the barbershop uh, is Anastasia. Who was, uh, I think, the founder of Murder Inc. and was one of the big mob bosses, and uh, he got killed when he was getting getting a shave and a haircut. I, I love the pan, by the way, that does, but it just ends at the window mm-hmm. with the uh, with the flower, yeah, the florist, I guess. Yes, yeah, like it. it yeah, I, I don't feel like he ever feels the need to be gratuitous. Eh, whatever. I guess my, my whole point in bringing up the, the Bay of Pigs thing and this Italian-American assassination is all of those things, like I think they not only add scope, but I think they also, you know, underline the futility of Hoffa. Like it, spending so long with him at, and bringing him to a place where he seems like, you know, he can influence things again. And and, and like just these these families though are really who you know have the rule here like mm-hmm. you even see it in a, such a fascinating way with buffalino and um and tony pro like the the way yeah cuz buffalino has the italian american pin actually at the banquet dinner right and tony yeah. pro gets mad about that but and, and just like the i i i find that it's so interesting to me the way this movie views like tradition and like mob loyalty because it's it's at it's at one time sacred but also seems like you know everybody's just waiting to backstab each other like in a way Hoffa is almost the most the most pure of them <laughs> like he's the most honest even when he's being dishonest well that's why peggy likes him because there's this there's this quandary at the heart of this movie where it's like sure no one's particularly a good guy but there's a difference between jimmy hoffa wielding the power of his his union you know to to get things but like everything he does in the end does enrich the union members yes and then you got all these fucking guys who just go around shooting people and then throwing their guns into the rivers and lakes <laughs> where all the other guns are yeah yes, a lot of guns <laughs> which i love i love that because it's just like it's it's not funny ha it's not like haha funny no. but it's just it's just such it's such an such a, such a symbol of so how ubiquitous all the all the tropes have become and specifically how all of its all those actions have become there's just it just 
ties in wonderfully to there being no shock value here at all. And that's the point. Yeah, it's not like this guy's reinventing the wheel. He's like, there's a place that I know because everyone else uses it. And if they ever sent divers down there, they could like make an army. <laughs> it's, First it's country, nervous. yeah. That's, that's so good. And um, yeah, so like Peggy, you know, doesn't ever open up to, to Russ Buffalino, but she opens up to Jimmy Hoffa because Jimmy Hoffa, at the, at the end of the day, whatever criminal activities he does is not a murderer. You yeah. know, he doesn't he doesn't explicitly make his money and his power from violence and she she feels that and she reads that and that's why when he goes sure. missing that's when she her character finally gets lines to speak and yep. um and it's you know that that gutting like her like after after all the times that we've seen her as a young girl and as Anna Paquin stand in a room and look at her father who looks back at her while the TV or the newspaper is blaring some headline about the most recent person that he murdered yep. she finally pushes back a little bit and says like why why haven't you called joe and then he's like all right yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go do that and then he has this this gutting scene of trying to talk to this woman who she knows that she murdered his her her husband (laughs) and someone who he obviously got extremely close to yeah from Mm -hmm. the from the context of the, the film too and that's um her she's actually another interesting way that this movie kind of pardon the pun detonates a lot of stereotypes in these movies you know we when when um <laughs> when i think it's when fitz and hoffa are kind of having their tete-a-tete and they just keep blowing up each other's shit and then joe gets fired from her union job and walks out to the car yeah. and like you you've had this kind of you know jaunty mm, you know scorsese mm-hmm. music playing and then it sure. stops and she's looking at her key and you're like, oh, right, oh, they're, yeah. they're real human beings who are now wondering if they're going to die because of this bullshit that's going on. That scene is so tense. It's so good. Yeah. It's, then it's her really, car, really good. Her car turns over and she lets out a breath because she legitimately thought she might explode. Yet another and, one and, of those scenes that we've <laughs> seen so many times, but not in that context and yeah. not with that weight. Well, but th- we've also seen... And I I appreciate that he doesn't quickly cut away from that and lets her breathe because as an audience member, you also know that sometimes the car doesn't blow up as soon as you turn it on, right? <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes yeah. it blows up a little bit later. And so, you know, he lets that scene kind of rest and pause and she lets out a breath because she thinks she's safe. But you as the audience member is like, hmm. This this might still happen. Oh, that's the and point it, where you're like, I dare you, put your fucking foot on the gas pedal right now. So yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. It's another. It's another one of these 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 uh, vignettes in this movie that that goes back and forth, like we were talking about with the the hotel meetings with Frank and Jimmy, and then Frank going back to talk to Salerno, and then you've got like, all right, so first they got to scare um, Fitz's guy, so they shoot a bunch of shotgun shells at him. And then Fitz comes back and he blows up a guy's boat. And then we come back at Fitz and we blow up his car as he's walking to it. And then Fitz sure. fires the guy's wife. And it really gives you the concept of just how much fucking work it is to do all this stuff. Like, you know, I like, you know, you guys were like, who was the guy who got shot at what looked like the, the Cuban parade? And it's just, you know, it was it was Columbo. And I had to, like, go into a whole thing about. Joey Gallo and extortion and kidnapping and jail time and then, you know, hiring someone possibly 
to kill Columbo because, you know, Columbo was part of the Columbo family and Gallo wasn't part of that family. He wanted to have his own. It's just a whole fucking nightmare. There's so much stuff. Like, you know, you have in, in order to truly like you can get this movie without knowing a lot of this history. But knowing about Cuba and knowing about JFK and Nixon and fucking unions and the Bay of Pigs and everything. It just really, it helps to add this kind of broad sweep of, like, how deeply entrenched all of this shit was together. It's just, it's like, it's staggering. Like, and it it makes you wonder, like, how much of this is still going on that we just don't know about? Not to, like, buy into a Facebook meme, but, like, you know, you hear stuff like Jeffrey Epstein and you're like, well, Jesus Christ, like... (laughs) You know, this this incredibly powerful man who was apparently, like, trying to get MIT to clone him or some bullshit like that. And he had all this money and his private jet and the island. And people knew. And they just didn't give a shit. You know, like Peggy just standing there staring all the time and knowing but not saying anything because she's scared or she just doesn't want to get confirmation until she finally hears that Jimmy's dead and she just has to ask. Yeah. Like, she has to bring her father some level of of moral culpability be like all right you did this but you gotta call joe like or or tell us why you haven't called joe you know like you want to tell us that you're feeling guilty that you can't yeah it's nuts I, and i'm then, realizing now too that hoff is one of the only ones who really gets to experience like true joy on screen obviously everybody's <laughs> talked about the food and the sundays and hot dogs and so like, many goddamn sundays <laughs> but like but generally he has like a lust for life that you know pesci or 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 pesci or de niro or you know kaitel who we haven't talked about who has you know kind of a kind of a furtive role in this like uh, one that's like uh, again he's not like super charismatic in fact he's kind of (laughs) He's kind of scummy, like the way he brings Frank in, for instance. But Angelo like, Bruno, yeah, yeah, and, and fucking Ray Romano, holy shit! But <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I started reading. I heard you paint houses, and I, I found it funny. I didn't, even, I don't know that we learned this in the, um, or no, because in the movie I think he says that he's his cousin, but in the book I yes. think it says that um, they're not even really related, like by okay. blood. But he lets him <laughs> say that he is. Just because it gave him a little extra cachet. Clout, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I I I do I if I if I am a little worried about some of the crowded things, I I'm not sure I love the Stephen Graham thing stuff as a lot of as much as a lot of other people do. I, I'm not sure that some of the younger stuff is is totally necessary whether it's Bobby Cannavale or Stephen Graham and they're two performers I really like but um there is some stuff there that you know I like the Tony Pro Jimmy Hoffa lunch Mm -hmm. um like that's a that's a great scene the um the one um, in 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 Florida yes not the one in prison (laughs) and about the meeting yeah no I mean the prison one I don't know the prison stuff uh, other than the end prison stuff like uh, Jimmy Hoffa's time in prison. If I was going to, Oh God, I'm going to say this. Okay. If I was going to cut 
anything. No, no. <laughs> What's going on here? Why why are we having this succession? My No, I no, don't get All in. right, fine. Fine. Don't give in. Don't don't cut anything. You've already called it a masterpiece, I thought. I, it's a master it is a masterpiece. Then you don't cut anything from a masterpiece. <laughs> Tell Michelangelo what strokes he shouldn't put on the top of the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) I can kind of see that, though, because it it sidelines Jimmy in a way, and you kind of want him back with everyone else. No, no, but I'm not going to say cut it. I'm going to say I I understand it's feeling. I want to talk. I guess I want to talk about it. Like, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the second hour, which I have heard a lot of complaints about from um that normal people, I swear I don't mean that as condescending. That is the second time someone on this podcast who is not me has said normal people. And I'm usually no, the I guy just, who gets the elitist thing thrown at him. No, just like I I, I had like a, a friend text me about it and a coworker was asking me about it. And I, yeah, like and they said it was too long and they didn't understand why the second hour was there and everything. And it was like. I, Isn't the second hour? The second hour is all Jimmy Hoffa. I know. Yeah, that's no. like, what the, what it's the all fuck? union stuff. Yep. 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 Yeah, that's, that's like the that's most the important hour. Yeah. That's the heart and soul of this fucking movie. <laughs> that's if the craziest this, part. If, if, if this movie did not have Hoffa in it, I don't think it would be very good. Well, it would, it would literally totally not movie. have. It would. Yeah. It, it would the same movie at all. Yeah. Right, yeah. It, it would you'd cut out the soul, the moral, everything of this movie if you were just like, yeah, no Jimmy Hoffa, because like that's right. the whole. Yeah, just, like, even, if, even if it, even if the politics, like you can make arguments about whether or not the politics in the movie lands land really well, but the point is that they're on the peripheries the entire time. We just have all this shit swirling around you while you have tunnel vision going on, and then before you know it, it's over, and people don't remember any of the people who died. And it's like, is that fatalistic? Of course it is, but it's also really affecting. And I love mm. that shit. Yeah. No, I I do too. But all right, let's bring it back to the Jimmy Hoffa in prison then. So, so I'm not saying cut it. I'm just saying <laughs> that those were your words. Okay, fine. You were I, very afraid saying, to say them too. And I think we've proven you're right. You should have no, been afraid. All right. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys find those scenes effective or... Uh, I think what what, what scene are you talking about specifically the sit down lunch when when he's fucking eating eating a sundae like I love that scene Hoffa's first time in prison the sequence there it's I'm even trying to think what that fucking is well it does include that's the thing I feel like that's so it's that's such a I feel like if you're gonna pick apart individual scenes I'm not saying this is an impersonal you but it's like I feel like if someone's gonna pick apart a specific scene from this movie it's gonna feel so minute if you're going from something that's covering decades and it's three and a half hours like i mean i mean i don't know i'm i mean but also full disclosure i'm the type of person who doesn't really i don't necessarily you know digest movies and from on a plot basis I, I more look at it as a song i just more look at it as a, as a flow of emotion so like mm-hmm. if i'm gonna say there was a point in the movie where it was I thought it could have been tighter. Yeah, it would have been it would have been probably like the dead center right before the whole Frank celebration half hour. Like that's when I think that until the very end is some of the most perfect filmmaking I've seen in years. Yeah. Um, the I lead up agree. to that, it's kind of like you have to I mean, it's like this is going to sound glib, but it's like if you want to get to the best part of anything, you have to slog through something that isn't as sure. good. And it's what's weird about this movie is that like there's there's like three different first acts yeah 
Um, yeah. Because you got to have him getting involved with the mob, which involves his car breaking down, his meat sideline, and then his trial, and then meeting Russ again and being like, hey, you helped me with my car once. And then you got to sure. get to the Jimmy Hoffa thing, which means first you got to get through all the stuff he's doing for the mob, the whole like whispers thing. Um, that great conversation when he's like, I should give Whispers his money back. And Bruno's like, yeah, you don't got to do that. He's not going to need it. He's like, no, I don't, I don't want to cause any trouble. I just, I'll give his money back. It's like, he's, he's not going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, basically like we got a guy out of town, Jimmy Hoffa, you know, he needs. And so like, then, then that's like the next first act until like they become friends. Yeah. And then, yeah, you got to have him go to jail so that you can, uh, but like when he's in jail is when you've got all the 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 shit happening with um you know we got to get this guy to to start you know agreeing to the loans that we're supposed that's, to do that's right like there's it's such a tangled web like i was going to say like if you really want to cut anything you want to cut you know him first becoming a person in the mob like just begin with you know my name's frank sheeran and i paint houses and oh i'm going to go help jimmy hoffa but then you actually do miss a lot of the setup of like why he's good friends with Russ, the whole sure. conversation about the war, him yeah. being a union guy, you know, showing that he's willing to, and like that's when his fucking he he beats the shit out of that guy for his daughter too. I think like so you need yeah mm-hmm. all of this stuff because again you're trying to talk about decades of a human life, yeah, that lead to him buying his own casket, yeah, from like, Action Bronson. <laughs> Is, from is, from, wait, from a that, guy that what? that goes seventy five hundred dollars and he and Frank is like, can you do lower? And he's like, I can do six six thousand. And it's like fifteen hundred dollars. You can just fucking knock that out. Well, he like, said what flat the, what cash. The fuck is, sure, but I mean that's a lot of fucking markup. <laughs> I mean. He's a, He's a New York rapper who he sounds a lot like Ghostface when he raps. See, that's okay. That's I. I am shocked that that that's the guy that who that is because I saw him and I was like, I almost wonder if they just went to a place and actually talked to a casket salesman. <laughs> like you know, in Good Time, how the uh, the bail bondsman is an actual bail bondsman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this guy is talking about this in such a way that like he seems like he just knows this stuff. Like he's still thing like. You know, if we're going to put you in the fucking oven, like, you know, you could get the cheapest shit possible particle board, you know, but like, you know, it's up to you. Like, who we do? What are we doing this for? A man or a woman? And he's like me. And then he kind of has to switch. He's like, oh, well, I don't know. Take a look around. See what you like. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he's so mm-hmm. he's like, he's obviously like, yeah. I probably shouldn't have said the fucking oven. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just going to be even more upfront with you now because, you know, what he what does he say? He's like, this is what you're going to go home in. Like, yeah, yeah. And, He's um, buying a car, basically. Yeah, and he and he, and like he goes to the. It's it's interesting the now that we're talking about it with like the whole end where he's talking about like the reason he's doing certain things for his his funeral and he's like you know yeah. you know I don't want to get burned up like because if there is something after you know burning up it feels a little too final I want to be in the ground you know they put the they put the earth on you it feels a little too final it's like you're gonna be fucking dead Frank. Like it's pretty fucking final. Like, what are you doing over here? And it's he wants he, to secure that legacy. He, yeah, that he legacy just no one gives a shit about. He has this incredible <laughs> sense of like, you know, I like what did I do? I like provided for my family. I protected them. 
which you know his daughter Dolores shows him as like a lie <laughs> but like he yeah. also has this concept of like I don't want anything that feels too final you have murdered many many people <laughs> like it's pretty fucking final for them too and the fact that he's still like struggling to come to terms with what he's done lets you know like about his his complete and utter lack of like moral responsibility for anything that he's done he talks to the priest and the priest is like you know do you feel bad you and he's feel- just like no <laughs> i don't really feel anything it's like, like did you know any of their families like it seems to me that he told the priest like hey by the way i used to kill people yeah and i've done it a lot so like and again he's like i don't know if there's something after i don't know but like if there is i want to have confession and the priest is like you know did you know any of their families did you feel bad for them he's like no well i knew one you know yeah and 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 he he almost wants to say i mean he's like yeah it's so (laughs) weird kind of grunts and groans about it yeah and it's so weird that like he can't like tell his family you know he refuses that you know the <laughs> the feds come but that's a whole scene i want to talk about individually and he's talking oh, to this yeah. priest and he still can't come clean like he still can't take responsibility no he's just going through the motions of confession because hey like i don't you know it's i don't want it i don't want if, if it is something else i don't want to totally close the door on it you know that's the thing everything's transactional yeah yeah it's so crazy, like, because that's the whole reason that he starts to like, you know, go up from stealing meat and stuff to like, you know, firebombing a laundry. <laughs> He's like, you know, if you want to make more money, you got to do bigger stuff. Uh-huh. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. But like, okay, so you know, we were talking about like laugh lines in the movie, and the biggest laugh that I had in the movie, especially the second time, was um the FBI comes. <laughs> and like Frank, you know, hey, we want to talk to you. Like, you know, we're new. Like, we we are clearly young men. We were not alive for any of the stuff that happened. We were reading the files. We're just giving it one more go. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, you know, refer to you to my attorney. And they're like, uh, yeah, he's he's dead. Who is dead? Mm-hmm. Your attorney. Who got him? <laughs> Cancer. <laughs> but what he just says for like for like a half second, he has he's flipped from like. Old man preparing for his own death to, oh, uh, another one of my friends is dead. Maybe I'm going to get a moment for vengeance or something. Who got him? And then they're like, cancer. He was old. You're old. Everyone's gone. (laughs) Yep. And so I actually, I sent out a tweet that was like, is it too uncouth if anytime someone tells me someone died, I ask who got him? (laughs) (laughs) Because that seems funny. It's also brutal. I mean, it's just everyone. Everybody's dead. Mister Sharon is is a lot. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it is it is an interesting kind of mob perspective of you would be giving away nobody at this point. Like, you know, the whole tradition is that you don't you don't talk, you don't say. But at this point, if nobody can go to jail for this. Like, if there's no actual repercussions, who are you protecting at that point? You know? Well, I think what struck me is those that scene and the last right scene, especially, are essential. They're basically or the confessional, like putting those so closely back together. I mean, back to back. You're I, I never really made the connection earlier in the movie, but essentially the the parallel between, you know, legality and religion are essentially the same and there's also a paradox there but it's like what strikes me is when he's talking to the feds he actually has like a moment of defensiveness whereas when he's talking to a priest it's just sure apathy 
Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that there's a part of him that that feels that by saying it out loud and by confessing directly to it, he he takes some culpability. He'll be yeah. absolved in some way. <laughs> no, I think he won't be. I think he won't think that he will be absolved if he says like I specifically killed my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's trying to look at it in in that same way of like um it was a job. I didn't kill my best friend. I killed the guy they told me to kill. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to compartmentalize. And so when the FBI's like, you know, what are you who are you protecting? He's protecting himself. Because if he says I did it, I killed Jimmy Hoffa, then the world's going to know that he he butchered his best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um what's interesting about the book, which I have not gotten very far into, but it opens with the the author of the book, uh Charles Brandt talking about how he'd been wanting to talk to Frank Sheeran for a while. He had like one interview with him and then like they cut it off real quick because Frank felt that he'd confessed to too much. And then like 10 years later, Frank comes out and is like, okay, so uh, I'm my, I talked to my lawyer. I'm going to talk to you. I can only say things in a very specific way because I don't want to be made legally culpable for anything. In so a very specific way, <laughs> right? He, he, like it's almost as like it's like um if you're if you're like wording a statement to the police where you don't want them to. Or what what he had to think about was basically, I can't say I killed Jimmy Hoffa specifically this day, this time, and all that stuff because that could constitute a confession. So he basically had to talk to Charles. Charles had to write it up, give it to to Frank. Frank then had to read it, then give it to his lawyer. To be like, okay, you can publish this because it does not legally constitute a confession of a crime. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little interesting in that way because like that to me feels like a lot of work to go through if you're an old old man who is going to die soon and you're like still worried that like something you said could be found to be legally culpable. Sure. Like it's not like yeah. he's some guy who's like, ah, I killed Jimmy Hoffa. You know, give me a pint of whiskey and I'll tell you all about it. Shot him in his face. <laughs> I don't know why I said that in an Al Pacino impression. Yeah, yeah. that's so weird. Two nah. times, right in the back of the head. Oh, oh no. I what? He had a great ass. Thank you, Bill. God, okay. <sighs> I mean, what I what I also thought of too is it's like if I were in that situation. Would I confess? Because I don't know how long I'm going to be damned to live on this earth if I am to like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna confess something and I don't end up dying tomorrow like I think I am. Then oh, does that mean I'm gonna have to deal with a bunch of shit for the next I don't know five years in this nursing home? Yeah, <laughs> like I might as well just stay quiet. I mean, I made it this far, and I don't know how much farther well, I'm gonna yeah, make. Yeah, because he he saw his his other best friend die in prison. Yeah. I, I mean, think, who, I that seems that, a lot worse. You know, Russ didn't get to go and buy a nice green casket and then, you know, go and pick mm-hmm. out his specific crypts. Tony Pro doing an assassination attempt in the nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> puts like a, he like puts a pill in it. I, Tries I to choke him out with his saddest, oxygen cord. <laughs> one of the saddest scenes, I think, is when uh, Frank asks that the priest doesn't shut the door all the way. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. that's brutal. And and he's just like he's just like I I, I I I like to keep it open just just a little bit. And he the priest is just like, um, okay. <laughs> because know? again, that's guess- him. He doesn't want to close any doors. He doesn't want everything is too final. He he keeps this sure. insane moral 
of ambivalence down to his death choices and his door being open. Yeah. Like he can't say or do anything that feels too final to him. I have facetiously said this earlier, but I like uh, the the end of this movie reminded me so much of the end of Sopranos, like with Junior's arc, for instance. Um, like in, in terms of just this sad old man that people are just slowly forgetting about and no longer feel, uh, you know, any fealty to like give him respect and just withering away. Like I, I, I and I have to think, <laughs> I have to think Scorsese's seen the Sopranos, <laughs> but, um, I, I, seriously, I, I do think it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Uh, thinking about those two um, pieces of art together, not only as gangster films, but especially as uh, gangster fiction that is like contending with, uh, you know, the, the finite time that someone has as, mm -hmm. you know, a member of the mob. Well, yeah. Cause like he, it, it's, it's, it's really quite dark. I mean, he did all this ostensibly for his family, alienated most sure. of them. Um, and, uh, and uh, like you said, like all the people he was trying to protect are dead, including yeah. his lawyer. Like the, the one person in life you want to outlast you is your fucking lawyer. You know, <sighs> it's such that's that again, like that FBI scene. Like, I think I would go back and just watch that like a dozen times. Just, just incredible. And again, just for the, just like, we haven't talked a lot about the acting in this movie, but I think it's across the board, like amazing but de niro does a lot of great work the way that he stammers and stutters phone scene yeah during the phone scene and like you know loses his composure and then just the, again the way he snaps back into like you know i'm frank i'm gonna fix this problem you know who got my lawyer and then hearing it was cancer and just being deflated again yeah it's there's so there's crazy. a lot of like quiet body language touches too that you know we've already talked about the hug for instance and um you know it, it, how often he looks at the ring for instance mm -hmm. uh, but but even in, in general i i think especially the way he acts with uh, uh specifically the hoffa scene where hoffa's like i want you to run and it's it's fascinating to sorry run for union uh president yeah he's saying that to frank and like he's like are you happy about that and and, and frank like lights up for or it doesn't even light up he like <laughs> he glows for half a second and then goes back to his you know like mourn like un like constant mournfulness and well, like even that scene is of, so interesting i think there's a part of frank that wishes that he could have made a straight life for himself you know sure like, like asking to be a union boss from the boss of the whole fucking union is a pretty big deal and he, yeah. he responds is like oh man like this guy thinks like i act i'm not just a trigger you know i i could be like a person in some position of power to the point that when he goes to introduce himself to the guy at the uh the shipping company and the guy is about to hand him an envelope of money yeah He's like, Great no, scene. no, that's that's not what I'm here for. Like, I just want to introduce myself. If you ever have any problems, like, reach out to me. Like, he's happy sure. to have, like, a level of legitimate power that doesn't come from someone worried that he's going to shoot him. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he, he goes and stands in that bank and tries to talk to his daughter because I guess he's hoping that, like, well, I haven't killed anyone in a while, so maybe 
Maybe she'll be fine. And he talks to his other daughter and says, like, you know, you, they, they, they're, they're, like, there's a lot that I protected you girls from knowing. Because he thinks, like, that maybe if he could, like, make them understand the reason that he had to do all the things that he did, it might matter. But, like, to them, you know, he's just this scary guy who they couldn't come to any of their fucking problems with. Sure. Because they didn't know how he was going to fix them. Because his, his main fix was violence. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then he sits alone in the dark. He didn't realize it was Christmas time. He wants that door open a little bit because uh, he's afraid to be as alone as he is. There's a nice echo there too. Earlier in the film, with the first time he's sleeping outside Hoffa's room, mm-hmm. Hoffa's door is slightly ajar there as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that, if I recall correctly, that scene kind of bleeds in from the previous scene where he's where the nurse is helping him. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, it tracks outside, and that was yeah. the that was the thing I was talking about in the intro. Um, <clears throat> the camera dollies out, and then it tracks outside, and then it follows a bunch of people in the hallway who you know are not thinking anything about anyone involved in this movie. Um, and it's it's really really quietly devastating, and then it and then it kind of reverts that, and then it goes back in into the final scene, and then you're on the outside looking in. But I think the I think the final. Oh, I was about to be real glib unintentionally. And when I nail in the coffin for me <laughs> was, was the, uh, was uh, the final engraving in the crypt for me was when, um, the nurse says he's like, he starts explaining his past and the nurse just goes, Oh, it's okay. Shh. I'm trying to take and your blood like, pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And then rubs his arm and then walks away. And I think that's where I just sort of like, stroked my hand through my hair and cringed and just sort of like started sniffling a little bit. Well, cause uh, it's like he said, like, you know, back in the fifties, like Jimmy Hoffa was bigger than Elvis. And in the sixties, he was bigger than sure. the president. And yeah, then it was you, the Beatles and then the president. Yeah. Yeah. You jump forward a, a little bit and suddenly there's this nurse who couldn't, doesn't know and couldn't give a shit who Jimmy Hoffa is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, you know? I think what made it worse was also when she's that acquiescence after she, she says, Oh yeah, him. And then he just goes, "You don't know who that is." And she's like, "Womp womp, you got me. I don't." <laughs> and then it's like, "Here, here, I'll, I'm going to teach you something." And then she's like, "It's fine. I'm trying to prevent you from dying. Be quiet." <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh god, this is so brutal." Um, but it's like, and it's that coming off of, I, I kind of have like a a, an, a warped sense of time for the entire last hour because it's just like one slap to the groin after another. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And specifically, like, that comes maybe, I don't know, what, 15 minutes after he tries to go see Peggy at the bank. Yeah. And he waits in line, and then she just puts the the the, the little sign saying the we're next. closed. Yeah. yeah, that. yeah. Also, can we, just, can we just talk about Anna Paquin in general and how amazing she is in this? She's so good in this. So good. And people keep flipping shit about her not talking a lot. And I really hate the idea that... <laughs> You know how great of an actress she is? She doesn't have to say shit. (laughs) She's so great. Her face, when she is watching the news report about Hoffa missing, is amazing. And the amount of times that her throat quivers because she's about to say something, and then she doesn't, and her eyes dart back and forth, and then she just stares into nothing, and then she just says, why? And it feels like a mic drop or something. That's incredible. And I think it's like it sounds excessive, but she does fantastic work here it's it's, i really when you have a lot of dialogue to speak i feel like it's easy you know because it's like you can draw from 
the the words that are being spoken and to whom you're speaking them exactly what you need it's it's like the the words become like a catalyst to help with everything else you're doing yeah but a nearly silent performance like that where you never question what's going on in her mind like that that must be incredibly difficult (laughs) i thought of when i when i was watching her in her scenes i thought of like in terms of like recent years i thought of like scarlett johansson and under the skin just nonverbal, everything is in your eyes and your face and just like a slight twitch of your eyebrow if you're really into it, something like that. But I just, Mm -hmm. the entire Twitter discourse of someone not being able to say a lot, I, again, like you were just saying, I mean, she says way more than anything else. And I don't, especially when you're in a, when you're in a profession where everyone is in a competition essentially to say the most or like talk the most, but say the least, for someone to just watch from the outside and just, you know, exude all their emotions, like, without any sort of verbalization, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're saying way more. And, I, I mean, you have the most – she's – It's. I don't think people also understand the it, – it sounds so simple when I say this. I don't think people understand how she's essentially the moral center of this movie. I mean, you can make the – I mean, if you, if you want to extrapolate the, if there are like different rings of the movie, if you have like all the mob characters, Jimmy Hoffa, as, as you want to, if you want to, you know, pick straws about it, like he is the most, uh, he's the most, like he's the most operating within a gray area and he has the most moral ambiguity. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas everyone else is sort of like an apathy or, or an ambivalence. If you go outside of that, she is essentially on the outside looking in. She's essentially the audience. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm kind she of. She should like, be. Yeah. I mean, like. Yeah. That's I read. The thing. I read a review. I don't remember which one it was, and I feel bad now because I can't give them proper attribution. But they said she's like the silent Greek chorus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She she flits in and and gives you all the information that you need to know uh, about how you should view these people. Um. And like I said, like you know, in in Goodfellas, Karen's like he beat the shit out of this guy with a gun for me, and it turned me on. And, you know, I, I get married and all these people are handing me $100 bills and I was like drunk off of it. And in this movie, you know, you've got Peggy Sheeran, Margaret Sheeran, who's like, uh, everything is terrible, like all, all the goddamn time. Like, so you're in character is responding with silent dread or like full on just just broken t- uncertainty as to what's going on. And, like, she feels powerless to stop it. And there's no point in saying anything because her father's just going to keep silently eating his cereal. Or in the earlier scene where she's like, where are you going at the middle of the night? And he's like, go back to bed. And to wonder where your father's going in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. I'm going to work. Go back to bed. I went went outside this evening and uh, my daughter, when I came back in, was like, were you taking care of the leaves? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. And I just found something very, uh, what's the word? I liked the fact that she knew what I was up to without me even having to say something. Like she saw me put on my coat. She saw me, you know, put on my boots and I went outside and then I came back in and she was like, you were taking care of the leaves. And I was like, yep, that's, that's it. Like, I'd never want her to be like, yeah, my dad, like, you know, I think sometimes about, um, were you murdering that guy that we just met? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I think sometimes about the Americans and um, the the FX show, and I think about like the life that Paige and Henry Jennings must have had, and like how much conditioning their parents must have given them to be like it's totally normal for uh, a bunch of travel agents to disappear in the middle of the night for a couple hours, you know? 
It's a busy night in at the, the office. In the still of the night, you mean? <laughs> in the still of the night. <laughs> Which has always struck me as kind of a uh, a creepy song. Yeah. There's it it reminds about... me of the Flamingos, I Only Have Eyes for You. Yeah. There's something about like the tone of it. It's very elegiac, but also like the concept of a still night just to me strikes me as deeply disconcerting. <laughs> Yeah, you want a very loud night? Just like maybe some wind or something, like <laughs> or like you know people around, like you know the the noises of of an evening sound you machine. Know. I don't you know, mean, this... nice ASMR video. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other the other song that always made me feel that way? Um, so in love, I think by uh, the time, spelled with a Y. Okay, Which... I thought you were talking about Prince's. Uh, <laughs> um protégés from no. purple rain <laughs> <laughs> no there's this song um from the time that's that's uh it's it's actually it's it starts off with as we walk along together and like it's got the sound of seagulls and stuff and it's 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 always very it's always struck me as very like weird and elegiac there's a lot of songs like that back then i don't yeah. know what the hell was going on like did were the people were things better like that people could have something that sounds that weird but still be fine with it i don't know sleepwalk's pretty creepy too santo and johnny's sleepwalk which is in this one right near the end there's a lot of really great choices in this movie musically i love the kind of weird latin beat that's playing and then the guy changes the radio and then he gets strangled to death and the guy changes it back (laughs) and they turn it back to (laughs) 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 <laughs> here hold on I, I found the song i found the song so much in love i'm gonna play the first part of it and you tell me if you find it creepy or if i'm weird as we stroll along Right, that should be in a Scorsese movie, right? Yeah, I, I remember listening to that with my mom. I've heard that song a lot, and I love that song. It's it's a very great evocative song, but like, oh yeah. my god, that's. <sighs> anyway, the next two hours of this will just be us playing the hits of the fifties and sixties and seeing if they would go well into a, a Martin Scorsese movie. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> Woo. All right, y'all. Um... <laughs> Bill's clearly out of things to say. He has wiped yeah, the slate I, clean. I, I think um, I, I I think we've we've covered a lot of stuff. I, I don't know if we want to say any. Last Shocking thing. that we've we've only spent like about two hours talking about the movie and we've covered almost all of it. When you know we have sometimes spent two and a half hours talking about a movie and barely touched it. It's almost like they could have cut an entire hour out of it. Am I right? Oh, Damn it! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say I almost got Brian to say if I was going to cut something. <laughs> He almost said that and then backed off. Right, because smart. then I realized that like I couldn't. Like it's not gonna work. <laughs> like it's no, yeah, it doesn't. He, Everything he did talk works. himself out of that pretty quickly. Yeah, it's like oh well, if I you know again like if if I was if I was a gun to my head, someone told me cut a part of this, I'd be like I guess the first part, like the like you know up until that phone call where Jimmy asks, I heard you paint houses. No, but again, it makes the the movie would exist and be understandable but it would lack all richness and moral depth 
<laughs> which like you know is is like that's the difference i think between like if what is it audio visual entertainment and cinema yeah 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 you're damn right um any final thoughts <laughs> on this movie before we go we're never gonna learn what fish it was are we no oh which as a person who hates fish it was just so weird to me. I was like, wait really i really don't like fish i don't like eating fish i like catching them um but i will give my fish to someone else if i catch it i oh, used to go cute. i used to go uh on jamaica bay with my grandfather and we would catch fish and crabs and i did not like either of those things so we'd give the crabs to earl across the way or we'd take the fish into the boat club uh at the bar and we'd offer them up to other people give them to me <laughs> come to queens i'll hand you a fluke it's fine <laughs> that's the bar actually the uh the boat club bar is the bar where i met a lot of the people who were like reminded me like the guy who said that he shook hands with elvis presley there's a lot of i think one of the things also that i like most about martin scorsese movies is that he does have such like a and and steve zalian who wrote this script we didn't ever mention his name fantastic script no. To take all of this and make this, and then for Martin Scorsese to take it so assuredly turn it into, you know, actual motion picture. That's crazy. But, like, just the way these people talk. Like, when when they're in the bar, like, when Frank is still just a truck driver, and they're talking about making a deal, and he's like, let's shoot these fucking things first, and then we'll talk about the rest of it. Like, I just, you don't hear people talk like that in movies, but, like, I have heard numerous people talk like that in the world. You know? There's just some, there's some sort of musicality or or authenticity to that that just uh really blows my mind that you don't feel it more in things like again like thinking about what what i think we would call like audiovisual entertainment there's just a perfunctoriness to like all of the dialogue you know it's it there's no humanity there's no personality behind so much of it um like i would think about <laughs> I think about like when I would hang out with my grandpa and like his his friends had no concept of the fact that like there was a child around and maybe they shouldn't talk about a lot of things that they were talking about. <laughs> and so this one guy is like, you know, what, what, like what like what the fuck am I going to do? Like my daughter's got cancer of the throat. You know, my son's got cancer of the throat. You know, my, my fucking mother's got cancer of the colon. Like, I just don't even know what the fuck's happening anymore. You know, meanwhile, I lost half my larynx because I had cancer of the throat. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this family? And just the way that he would talk about it so openly and then, like, say, like, the way that they used to, like, say goodbye to each other by saying, you know, oh, God bless, you know, say say hello to your wife or say hello to your mother, like, that kind of thing. Like, there's just something there that, like, it's not in a lot of things that we see. And, again, it seems like it's missing from my own life. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I was very weirdly like nostalgic for many parts of my childhood and the people who I used to like be around in the summers in Queens when I watched this movie because I like the kind of weird familiarity and I got that a little bit in Texas because people down there if they're your friend are like real intense about it I feel like maybe I don't know like do you guys ever feel that like do you feel that like close like bosom intimacy with like your friends where you talk like that like Nobody like the characters in this movie or like just in your life. I don't just like like do they talk like the character like I don't I I think in watching this movie (laughs) and in watching movies about like the mob and these people who become so closely tied together. It makes me more aware of the fact that like many relationships in my own life like are just lacking in that way. Like and I wonder if it's a modern thing where we just don't talk 
in that way or we we are drawing from such different groups of people for our own friendships that like we don't talk about certain things like that anymore i don't know i mean it's oh sorry go ahead well i was gonna say and also like you know all these people their families all live in the same place and like i don't know about you guys but like i have family in new jersey i had family in new york i got family in georgia i got family in texas so like i'm not gonna hang out with a friend and then have him say as i'm leaving like say hello to your mother you know Tell your mother I said hello, you know, that kind of thing. Like, because he fucking doesn't know my mother. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It's like, I I mean, always whenever I would watch any sort of mob movie going up or anything that had a real emphasis on uh, a capital F family, it felt somewhat alien to me, which is funny because I've always had a really close relationship with my family. But it's like my mom's family is from Florida. My dad's family is from outside Buffalo. And then I grew up in the hard streets of Farmington Hills, Michigan. (laughs) So it's like, I mean, it is just like. I feel like I was just like bred in like the, you know, epitome of, you know, vanilla suburbia. So the point <laughs> is, it's just like everything is like has a tinge of like apathy and maybe at worst, like nine layers of irony. And it has to be like an odd number of layers of irony. Otherwise, I cancel out like something like that. Yeah. No, I definitely feel that. Like I, I like anytime I say something like halfway earnest to like a friend of mine, we have to we do have to cancel it out some way. Yeah. I mean, I if nothing else, I've always like I mean, if if you want to get into like the the mean potatoes of like the dynamics of that are often ascribed to this genre in particular, I mean, if nothing else, I've always related to just how upfront people are. Um because I've always pri- like I've always prided myself on just being a very direct person, but yeah. everything else, I'm just sort of like, wow, these people are so happy to see each other all the time. What is that like? What's it like to be happy to see someone? <laughs> I think about that a lot. Like again, in Queens, like you know, you, you'd see like Mrs. Mineta, and she'd be, oh, Brian, it's so good to see you, and you get a hug. Oh, how's yeah. your mother? Like, oh, I just talked with your grandmother the other day and she's so great. Do you want a chocolate? And it's like, Miss Mineta, I'm 25 now. You don't have to give me a full-size Hershey's bar. But like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I don't know. There's there's a there's a weirdness there. And I, I, I think about it sometimes uh, when I when I watch a movie like this and uh, I wonder about it. And I, it helps you to see like kind of the seductive side of this kind of thing. Because like... Yeah, he's murdering people, but like I don't know if this is the kind of guy who would have made a friend as deeply as he made friends with like Russ and and uh, and Jimmy, you know? If it weren't for this, this whole situation. There's the quote from this episode: "He's murdering people, but <laughs> but the real the real Irishman was friendship." I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Right, it's like, I watched I watch a gangster movie, and I'm like, maybe I should just kill someone, and then I'll be closer to people around me. Right. If you know, if they know that you killed someone, <laughs> then that's a secret you take to your grave. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be friends forever. Yeah. Dear diary. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was weird because, like, I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, am I the only person on earth who's like, man, I kind of miss like that level of, like, when my grandmother died, and like, you know, I went up and and I saw some of the people that I hadn't seen in a while, and. You know, it's they're they're a bunch of old Italian people from Queens and they come up and they're like, oh, Brian, like, oh, I'm so like, I'm just thinking of your family. And then like you have your little conversation and then they you leave and they're like, "Okay, God bless, honey. God bless. And I'm like, you know, when is the last time that anyone in my life has said God bless to me? You know, it's just like you don't get any of that. Like I leave work with people who I claim are like pretty good friends of mine. And it's like, all right, see ya. And they're like, yep. You know, I have like, like, uh, it's just so weird. Maybe I'm just going through an existential crisis. Maybe I just need to join the mob finally. 
You should. I think it'd be good for you. I think it would. I think it would help my interpersonal relationships. Yeah, and perhaps my career either, development. Yeah, it's either join the mob or you know wait until you get to the point where you think that true bonding is not talking, so you don't have to fill the air with empty going through the motions. You know. Yeah, that could work. One or the other. Yeah, I just need you know if you're the type of person who wants to be friends with me and say God bless a bunch, just uh, reach out at Brian J Rowan on Twitter. <laughs> well, well, God bless you. Thank you, Bill. There we go. He gets Brian, it. Brian, I'm not doing a hit for you. <laughs> well, come on. Michael, I heard you paint what houses. What kind of friend are you? <laughs> um, if you paint houses, reach out. <laughs> no. Do not. We're all on a list somewhere now, guys. Uh, I have, okay. I've, I think I've like a number of times on this podcast said that I'm willing to kill a Nazi because I felt like I had to. So, yeah, I'm definitely on yeah. the list. Also, I'm like probably the only person on this podcast right now who owns guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like them, and I don't want to throw them in a river, so I will not be using them to commit a crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm gonna edit that. And... <laughs> no, double it. There's Bill stealing a blank check bit again. All right, I think we're done. Um, gentlemen, God bless. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm before hungry. we go, remember patreon.com uh, slash the film stage show to give us your money. Uh, Movie.com slash the film stage show for your free 30 day trial of movie, the online streaming cinema where every day a brand new film comes for you to watch and enjoy. And uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's about it. Um, we can tell the fine people at home. Well, wait, wait, what are we talking about next week? waves Yay. Oh. I think I have a screener for that that's good news for me okie dokie yeah alright uh, so next week we'll be talking about waves look forward to it the new film by Trey Edward Schultz between now and then let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found online Matty Onions um, at Sapola Matt on Twitter um I also write stuff for the spool and then I pop up a variety of other places. I'll be covering like in, a, in about two months, I'll be covering Sundance for the spool and maybe another place. I'll stay quiet about that until it's entirely confirmed, but uh, keep an eye out for that. All right. Billy clean slate. Uh, I think you can find me on Twitter at cable BFG. I could be mistaken. <laughs> Um, you can also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel. Um, threading is actually happening. It's taking off. It's, it's, it's working. <laughs> You've tried so hard and it's actually finally starting to pay off. <laughs> All right. Mikey Chicago. I'll be offering proper gratitude on Twitter <laughs> at, uh, at Snide Owl and, uh, on Letterboxd. I have been logging a bunch of movies. I got like a week ish until a bunch of ballots have to be in and i get really stressed about <clears throat> my top 10 not being top 10 enough <laughs> my voting my voting starts on friday oh no I am, good luck <laughs> i am not in a good place right now <laughs> i uh like my brother was over and then my parents came over and as i knew that they were coming i was like all right all right I can watch this one with Kevin. My parents will probably <laughs> like this one. So like Kevin got uncut gems and nice. my oh, parents yeah. got Richard Jewell. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So I think I played that well. It was that or the two popes. Um, mm, yes. Yeah, so you can I've heard good things. Find me having a low level panic attack about awards voting. Um, Every year. 
Every year. There's never <laughs> enough time. No. Well, it was funny is that like it was like the second week in November and I was like, uh, uh, I only have like seven screeners. What's going on here? And now I cannot use my kitchen counter. <laughs> I need a better mm-hmm. system. It's real bad. Oh, man. And um, I was super concerned that I wouldn't get to see a specific movie because I was sure that they weren't going to send me a screener in time. But now they're having a real screening. Oh, Star so. Wars? Yeah, so that's exactly the one. <laughs> um, it's about a, a guy resisting uh, Nazis. So, yeah, it could be Star Wars. Um, anyway, uh, where? what about me? Where can you find me? You can find me on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, uh, letterboxed at Brian J. Rowan, uh, all over the place at Brian J. Rowan. And, um, of course, you can find Peach joke in a while. Are you on Peach? No, I I mean, I might still be on Peach if Peach's servers are still spinning. I'm on there somewhere. What the fuck are y'all talking about? You don't (laughs) remember Peach, Bill? (laughs) Huh? Peach? No. TikTok? I am not yet on TikTok. I do know TikTok. I have thought about getting on TikTok just to watch TikToks, but I have decided against it. You can just watch compilations on YouTube. You really don't have to download the app. I, nice. I pretty much just like follow three different Twitter things that post what they call cursed TikToks because they're so <laughs> terrible. I, I think uh, you're like 10 years too old for TikTok. <laughs> I miss Vine is what I know. Um, yeah. I almost thought about doing TikTok and then I read an article that was like, here's why like teenage girls are so popular on TikTok. And I was like, I'm oh. not gonna. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't hang out in high school parking lots trying to be cool. I'm not going to get on TikTok either. Speaking of watch lists, <laughs> you don't drive a Lincoln? All right, all right, all right. Um, I think that's it. Oh, right. You can find my writing. I have my uh, my review of 1917 up at thefilmstage.com. Very much looking forward to talking about this movie or that movie on this here podcast. Uh, you can also find every episode of this podcast on thefilmstage.com. And, um... Yeah, I think uh, I think that that is that's about it. So, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next week. Did any of you read the article uh, where the, the the journalist actually reached out to like the guy who wrote in the still of the night with the five satins to like talk to him about the song? No, no, really. It was really it was... interesting. He was like, you know, were you even aware that it was in a Scorsese movie? And he's like, no, someone like like a family member reached out to me and told me about it. It's kind of cool.